knew it. Maybe this will. Maybe this will. Actually, <laughs> I knew it. Maybe this will actually be a short show. <laughs> it won't be, but no. uh, I, I just, I just, I knew you were going to do that. You always say, "I don't." You're going to have to carry the show. I don't have any topics. Then I knew you're going to. First of all, you're going to cram like right. First before. of all, let's. Why don't you set the record straight? I don't always say that. In fact, I rarely say that because I'm usually the topic master. Fine, oh topic master. <laughs> Can I say I'm in a, I'm I'm at least in a better mood. I, lunch was good enough that that up to my mood. <laughs> it put you in a better mood. <laughs> it put me in a better mood. It was a nice, healthy, delicious lunch with a nice latte. Then and, and you actually, yeah, you you posted photographic evidence of that in the I did in the in our Slack. Yeah, you you know something about what, what is it with that milk? Because you were saying it's like some kind of special like milk, like it they squeeze it with golden gloves or something into a golden <laughs> pot and stir it with a golden ladle or something. I don't know. <laughs> But it, it, it was it was a very good latte. Okay, so okay, you're talking about this. We went to this n- new coffee shop, yeah. which is actually, I guess, a cafe or I don't know. I, I guess What's, it's considered a cafe because it's got food and everything. Yeah. And they don't have a huge menu, but the food is all like this, basically locally sourced and yeah. But it's 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 really well done. They brought in a couple of really good chefs. Uh, they that's the story. But their milk that they use for their Coffee beverages and everything is they their vendor is Mill King. Oh, that's right, Mill King. That's right. Uh, so you can go to mill king dot com, but uh, their their milk is what do they say? Uh, it's, it's pasteurized according to FDA standards, but uh, it retains a majority of its enzymes, which are crucial for proper digestion and health. They, so they basically they pasteurize so like organic and all that kind of stuff. They pasteurize at a lower temperature than most, but but because they do it to low t- lower temperature by law, they have to do it for a longer period of time. Mm. So I think it just ends up tasting better. So that you know they have you know they they they're all about having happy cows and they're it's completely organic and you know no no weird stuff and and the way they and the and what they the way they process the milk um is I think just better and it's that milk is it's the most I I, I, tried, I was trying to explain it to you I'm like this is the most milky creamy like dairy tasting milk I've ever tasted <laughs> and I don't know any other way to describe it than that. It had just like this. It has this natural kind of nuttiness that is just I don't know. Just well, yeah, very I, good. I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. It was good. I, I'll say that. I, I don't. I can't say I'm like tasting like every new nuance of it, but um, I'm, I, I'm I just really. It. I'm really picky about milk. I mean, I'm like, you know, we only we we switched organic milk. I don't know, ten years ago, and never looked back because it just tastes better. I don't know why. Well, it um, tastes better, but also we noticed it with the kids because they they kind of had this lactose thing going on and. Um, it's less of an issue with them with organic milk. I don't, I don't know if well, that's... Well, they don't have a lactose thing then. Well, I don't know. No, but, they, they... Well, what am I doing? Uh, you guys have everything. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, Got a hypochondriac for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do I need to mark that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will, just in case. Um, <laughs> anyway, gosh, why don't... You know, people... What is going on here? Don't people know I'm recording? Come on, people. Oh, I mean, I'm on silent, but still, my my watch for center. I guess I need to go into silent mode. Do not uh, disturb. Do not disturb. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have night shift as an option now. On the when you slide the thing across on Mac OS, uh huh. Um, night shift is right next to the do not disturb switch now. Really? Do you have you not upgraded the latest Mac OS? I have. I always do. You don't have night shift next to your do not disturb. I, switch? I do. I oh, just okay. never noticed that. Yeah, well, there it is. Turn what are we talking about? Now. Milk. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even buy the milk if it comes in a if the plastic jug it comes. So the cartons are best. Next best is the opaque jugs, and the mm-hmm. worst is the is the trans or transparent or translucent jugs. Those are just the worst because the I, the light does something to the milk. You got to keep the milk out of the light. Yeah. Light's pretty much bad for everything. I know. I was gonna say it's 
You got to keep your beer out of the, the light, know, or whiskey yeah. out of the light, just exactly. everything. Well, whiskey does it have an effect? Apparently, I know a lot of scotches. Like it's, that's why they come in the containers that they come in because it's supposedly the light will affect it. Didn't know that. At, at least that's what I read somewhere. I could be wrong, but that was that was that's my wouldn't surprise me. That's my um, anyway. No, you're you're in a better mood because you had a nice a nice little cafe meal with a badass coffee. Did I'm, I'm in a better mood too? Yeah, you've been uh, you've had some challenges this week. Do you, anything you want to talk about or share? I don't know if it's worth. I don't know that anybody cares. Probably not. <laughs> Although I do, just based on the little I know, I do actually have a related topic that I want to talk about. I don't know, may or may not be related, but just a general thing. Something I harp on all the time, but I figured I, I could I could rant a little bit. Not necessarily rant, maybe preach. Sure. Preach is a little bit less bad than rant. I don't know. But anyway, um, before we dig into that, um, any follow up or questions or anything? Are any front matter? Any business? Uh, well, Texas dreaming. If we want to take, cover that, oh yeah. So, so well, I guess some of the news is they they announced the what do you call them? the speakers? I guess they started. The they started to. I think some people are still waiting. So okay. I would, I'm not sure if everyone got ex- their notice yet of whether or not they're going to present or not. But I did get yeah you feedback s- that you submitted two topics. You got I both did. of them selected. Do you care to share what those topics are? We do not talk about John's topics. No, we don't. No, this is, well, this is just like App Club. We don't talk. No, <laughs> I didn't know if they but they wanted you to keep that. Kind of no, order. no, I don't think so. Well, I, I, I didn't see that. anything. That so said one of one of them is a clean, so, a clean yeah, code. Yeah, one of them is writing clean clean code. Yeah, and so that's that's more. I don't know exactly how to describe it just yet. I don't want to describe it that's, just that's yet. But, and then the other one is I forget now. Oh, the the the, <laughs> the, 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 the Salesforce, Salesforce Latter Day Saints. The Salesforce Latter Day Saints. Yep, it's the religion. The church of the church of Salesforce. Um, Salesforceology. <laughs> um, no, it's about using the Lightning Design System with uh, Visual Force. So it's 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 you know a lot of things I've been doing today, especially because I can't take everything that was built in Visual Force and move it into to Lightning components. This is kind of a mechanism for making sure everything looks consistent and all that kind of stuff. So I was going to talk about that. Okay, and I was thinking, you know, it actually would be good to to talk about clean code, but I don't want to blow your. Um, or maybe on a future episode, but I don't. I don't want to like spoil your your session. So maybe we just want really cover that because I've got my opinions yeah. on what I think. Yeah, I, I, clean I do code have certain is. opinions, but I, I think because clean code goes far beyond just like syntax and how well it's right. You know, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, because yeah, I to me, clean code really delves into that. You know, the engineering. I mean, how you know, not just how it looks, but how well things are you know designed. Yeah, and factored and all that stuff. And, but I think I think from my for my take on it is uh, there's not going to be a lot of time to get into a lot of the meat of it. So I think I'm going to try to take a more high level, maybe cover some some really kind of egregious kind of cases and try to have some tongue in cheek fun with it. Yeah, you know, you know, pointing to the good, the bad, and and maybe some analogies here and there that that maybe will resonate with people. I, I'm more looking to just inspire people to improve their craft, basically in coding and, and understand that just because something works doesn't mean it's it's good code. Yeah. <clears throat> Man, I used to, uh, I wish I still had this because this would be great for you to show, but there used to be, a, I think it was on Vimeo. Maybe someone can find it because I, I think I searched a while, but I couldn't find it. But it was a video of someone had gotten a hold of, uh, I think it was a consultant, uh, like a programmer consultant. And he had started started with a new client and he <laughs> he's going through their code base. And he opens up this, I think it's a C or a C++ fu- you know, cl- uh, file. And he... Puts his mouse on the bottom on the of the bottom. What's the what's it the thing at the bottom of a scroll bar that's got the button? What's that button called? The it's not the thumb. It's the but just the down arrow button where you can just yeah. click and hold and it just scrolls. You know, does a right. constant scroll down. He just holds that down 
and it takes about 15 minutes. Um, and this for a single class, yeah, it was well, it's not a, it wasn't it's not like a class per se because I think it was like a C file, but a single file. Oh, okay. Um, and then you know it's playing this like scary classical music in the background, someone <laughs> but it's funny music, but you know. Yeah, just as an example of what you know, what one way to know that you don't have clean code is if you can do this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I might even maybe even put it out there to say, you know, if you have any like extreme examples of code you've seen that just just was a nightmare or looked like a horror story, you don't mind me sharing. You know, maybe send it to me. Maybe I'll try to use it. But I do plan on kind of collecting these kind of things and kind of have something to show. Yeah, because I think this is one of those things that. Since I am going to kind of cover it at a really high level, like I don't want to get into like really deep stuff, but I do want to kind of highlight and inspire people. So that's that's my goal, at least my approach to it. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we I noticed that w- there were a lot of um, people chiming uh, up in the uh, in the Texas Dream. That's good because a lot of people weren't going to go <laughs> if they didn't yeah, speak. Exactly. So. Like I think wasn't Brett Nelson? He was one of those that was. I think um, so. He was. Yeah. It was contingent on his talk being accepted. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Noe. Yeah. Scott Wills, I guess is it, he's still. Um, yeah. So the jury's still out, but I can't imagine his talk not getting slotted. I'll give him one of my slots. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Anything else? Any other front matter? Um, we still haven't picked a place or anything, so that's all still up in the air, right? Uh, we haven't picked a place, but I I, I think we're, we've solidified on the idea of a happy hour. Happy so hour something thir- before dinner. Thursday happy hour before dinner, right. And then I think after that, you know, anyone who you know, wants to go to the same place for dinner. We can either kind of split up or go together, just depending on what people want to eat. But, you know, some of us may go eat. Well, Basically, might, we might split up into groups and then go eat dinner or whatever. You um, mentioned that, but I wonder if, if we get enough of a group of people that do want to go, wouldn't it be better to have a reservation? I just don't know how to plan that unless we do sign-ups ahead of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll put the call out and say, hey, if, if, if you think you might want to have dinner, let us know so we can know if we have to reserve something or if we're just going to play it by ear. Yeah. Well, then I mean, it also means we need to do some homework and figure out like what what is the what what are the, what are the, what's the short list of places around there in Austin that you like need to you know need to try, eat for you know dinner. Yeah, because Austin's got some uh, some pretty good food. It does. I mean, it's not quite Dallas, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how to take that. Well, however you want. You go out. You go to you go around around the town more than I do. I mean, you go to some better. You just have all these pictures of like eating cool, awesome, weird stuff, and <laughs> that big old bone marrow thing that one time, I was like, that looks good. I don't. Where was that? I don't remember where you were. Bone you, marrow? Yeah, you had this big old picture of a bone. It was like some marrow thing that you were eating or something. I don't remember. Okay. Sure it just wasn't a big beef rib or something? Maybe. I mean, I'd have it. I'd, I don't, I don't I've know. had bone marrow. I mean. I, no, I, th- I think you said this place specialized in that okay. or something. That, that was their gimmick or that was their thing. <laughs> that was um, that was Blind Butcher. Okay. They're down on gr- lower Greenville. So I'm not making stuff up. So no. look at me like I'm making no, stuff you, up. Well, you do make stuff up. I mean... So I usually have to assume that you are. <laughs> well, I have some... Um, I, don't, I don't really have any front matter. I'm just ready to dig in stuff. Any other All stuff? Right, let's dig into stuff. We have, um, you said we had a couple of reviews, but we, we'll do those later, I guess. Yeah, we'll do those last. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention is just that I, I've noticed... It seems... I don't, I don't, I don't. It's not suddenly, I guess, but I've noticed a sudden uptick in discussion around MuleSoft. It just... Uh, and I don't know if this is just coincidence just in my little circle, my little world, but... I'm just hearing MuleSoft everywhere. I've got clients that um, that use it uh, that I didn't even know were really using it. Turns out they are. Hmm. And then I've gotten requests. I keep getting requests for, hey, man, do you know, can you do MuleSoft? I'm like, yeah. 
see, I, I, I soar off these big integration platforms quite a while back. I'm just, they cause me more problems than they solve for me. And it's, I can, I'm more, I, I'm more flexible with it without them. I can do more things without jumping through their weird flaming hoops because they didn't envision the use case that you have. Yeah. So not saying MealSoft's not a good product. Actually, I, I know some of the guys that uh, I think still work there. Um, so I'm sure they're... And they, didn't they... They kind of grew out of an open source kind of situation, didn't they? I can't I remember. remember. I just they, remember evaluating them because they, they were one of the few that um, offered... Uh, I forgot what... HL7 um, format okay. and all that kind of stuff, like compliance and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's yeah. Those are EH, EHRs. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which is a mess. I would I would say avoid HL seven. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. It, well, I would no, say avoid I, avoid. I, the, I manually wrote an integration so by hand that dealt now, with it. Did okay. Was it the HL seven that was the EDI looking kind of uh, fixed? Yes. Field width. Yes. HL seven. Okay, because yes. you know I, it was there's boring. a new. I say new in in scare quotes because it's actually like ten years old now. But a new version of HL seven that is XML. And even yeah. though, you know, XML is, is what it is, it's still way better than that yeah. previous. No, I was, I was, <laughs> no, yeah. I was dealing with all that. And um, you just hope that everyone was doing the spec because um, otherwise, you know, pipe's in the wrong spot, uh, field length isn't right, and you're, oh, now all of a sudden you're pulling in extra data. This reminds me, I, I was in a, I would say, discussion with someone. So there was a, and I don't do integrations very often anymore because I just find them to be boring. But every once in a while I'll do one, especially if it's kind of interesting and, um, but I did, I did this integration. It was about six months ago. And for various reasons, we had settled on, um, for most of it, CSV being the common data format that everything needs to be able to accept. <clears throat> um, and, well, there's mainly because that's how the data already was. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of other sources that it wasn't in CSV, but it was easy to get it. In there. And anyway, there's, um, so that's working fine. But there's a couple of new people at this, at this, at this company that I built this for. And they, you know, were claiming that uh, the CSVs were, you know, causing problems. And I thought, that, that's interesting. Well, and, and look, it turns out just because that whatever system, there was a system that was not producing, you know, valid CSV format was the, was the problem. Okay. But they're like, hey, you know, is there a reason that you guys chose CSV instead of, uh, instead of tab delimited? And I said, because tab delimited, is, it's, it was way more efficient and uh, it's more reliable. And for the life of me, I could not convince these people that, I can I can use whatever delimiter you want to. You yeah. want a comma fine. You want a tab fine. You want a pipe fine. You want some weird high order Unicode thing fine. I don't care. It doesn't matter what the delimiter is. Right. You still have to escape it. You still or you still have to make sure it's somehow it's not actually in the in the data itself. I mean, it doesn't solve anything. Right. It doesn't make any parsing any faster. Yeah. <laughs> but I could, just could not disabuse them of this <laughs> of this notion. <laughs> And and then you, sometimes you just you're okay, I give up whatever you yeah. want, you want to change the limiter I, I, well I'll change it I, I mean you're gonna pay me either way so it doesn't matter I mean I'm getting paid so I don't care but at least I did my best to convince them that it was a waste of time so so you're not changing it <laughs> actually for, for the time being we're not okay yeah. for the time being so I save the money that's what I do is I save people money. <laughs> Yeah, but you probably spent more time convincing them not to do it than than it probably would have taken uh, you to yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, no, that's not the case actually. It would, what? Because your, your CSV class doesn't have a change delimiter. No, method? it does. That would have been okay. easy. That would have been easy working with all the people to to change their data, oh, all the different departments yeah. and people. Okay, you know, that yeah. would have been yeah. and, and testing all that, running full tests and everything. And well, if your code was smart, it would have read the first line and figured out what the delimiter should be. 
whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, th- that's if I had some good AI that could detect that kind of thing. But well, we have Einstein for that. Just ask that's Einstein. True. Yeah. <laughs> Einstein, what delimiter should I be using here? <laughs> you, yeah, it should be able to, right? Yeah. Einstein has all the answers. Anyway, uh, back to MuleSoft. So they they actually recently 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 went public. <laughs> sure, that was just an Americana you had. There's a little ice cream in there. Uh, no, this is believe it or not, this is a sober episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, they went public, and apparently it was I don't know, I didn't follow that closely, but they went public at 15, and I think they it shot up to like, 25 or 30. So that that's one thing. I think that's actually I think that's part of the reason why in my mind they've been get their I don't know. And I think also, you know, when someone goes public, it, yeah. they get in the news everywhere. And, yeah, visibility is high. And, and, and also, for some reason, people see public companies as more uh, legitimate. And so they all, they all of a sudden have access to, you know, more opportunities. And, and it's a selling point. It's like, hey, we're a public company, you know, traded on the in, in WinYSD, you know, or, or yeah. and here's our ticker. We have a ticker. Does this other guy have a ticker? <laughs> That's part of the sales pitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen a rise in, in my circle, but well, I, 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 I kind of stay stay out of the. I got an email the other day actually saying someone emailed me and, and was like, "Hey, you know, do you know? Do you do MuleSoft or do you know anyone that does?" Because we've and it, they have a it's a consulting company, but they're not they're not in the Salesforce space really. They're they actually they're more in the Oracle. And uh, and I replied back and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I don't do MuleSoft, and I actually don't know anyone who does." Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I told him, I, you know, Illinois. but I, I made some comment in, in the email about like, you know, it seems like this is a, this is like the next consultant gold rush type of thing. And his comment back was, uh, yeah, it is a good place to be right now. And mm. with the smiley, so. Well, I mean, if they supported the right data formats, like I said, I mean, I only bumped up again. I mean, I was, I was aware of them, but then I really had to evaluate them because of the formats they supported. So with, you know, insurance and, and healthcare and all this other kind of stuff being a big thing right now. What does that mean, though, to support HL7? That is, I mean, because it's just, again, it's just HL7 is either a fixed fixed width format or an, or an XML format, depending on which one you're with. But what did it do special for HL7? Well, I just, it just had the connector pre-built. Like, no one else had an HL7 connector. And maybe they just overlooked it or didn't have much demand for it to want to build it. They just didn't have one. I mean, yeah, you could, you could, you could you know, load up a text, uh, a text connector and parse it yourself. But, you know, this is a ready-made connector that can communicate, so... Hmm. I guess it's, it's just, it's XML, so uh, I don't know. Well, with most things, I mean, especially with these integrations, you want a f- official connector. You're not, you don't want to go custom if you're going to spend that much money on a tool. Even though it's just smoke and mirrors, have an official connector for it. Yeah, exactly. I need this CSV format. Okay, here's my CSV connector. Even though it's just a text, it's just a text reader, text file reader or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's just, you, you put it, you say it's this, yeah. and people go, oh, that's what right. I needed, this. Not text, yes. I need this, I need We CSV. support HL7, does does our competitors support HL7? <laughs> <laughs> they don't list it on their website. <laughs> but a lot of times, like with things that don't have an official spec, like CSV doesn't have an official spec. Actually, uh, it does, there's an there's a, um, there's a R, I know, R, an, I know, an RFC for it. Th- there is, but it's not, people, it's, wait, it's not me, official. I haven't... Uh, well, I, okay, I don't know what official is anyways, I, but... <laughs> And for long, yes, there was a spec, but no one followed it. There was, there's no governance board for CSV to say, hey, this, if you want, if you're writing something and it's going to be truly this, then it has to be this certified. It is RFC 4180 by the IETF. Okay. Well, but I have, I haven't asked John though, John, which is why does everyone think there's no spec for CSV? Because no one, no one follows it. 
Actually, they. Well, what do you mean? No one follows. It. I do CSV integrations all the time. So do you. Yeah, what do you and, mean, no and, and, and all the Excel time, I get things it? that are not properly escaped. I get things that are not pro properly delimited. Oh, because because sometimes people screw it up. They're not it's using never the right, followed. They're not okay. Rise, okay, using I'm the right new line character. Because sometimes people screw it up. That means it's never followed. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, they're they're trying to follow the spec. Just because some people fail at it doesn't mean that even some of Microsoft's tools, like the Excel export, sometimes does not export things properly. I've never had Excel script. You know what? You know what had a major regression in its support for CSV though? That's a Microsoft product. A major regression. No, this was like ten years ago. What Access or something? No, SQL Server. The that's what it was. Yeah. It was SQL Server that did not Thank do you. it right. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> I remember that. I remember yeah. not use avoiding using it because it would not read it. It would not uh, output correctly. Uh, didn't I'm I'm not fully prepared here, but I'm I've got to I got to get this out. Jeremy was right. <laughs> okay, so it was well, SQL Server, not Excel. Well, that uh, oh, you're blaming the wrong people. I am. Being. Yeah, I'm, Excel. I mean, I feel like Excel. It didn't I didn't Microsoft actually somewhat invent CSV? Because I, I feel like this RFC came after. What, what was the date? They were part of that RFC, so they might have been the ones that. Well, let's see who identified championed it. Um, <clears throat> that was a guy from Solid Matrix Technologies, but that this R this RFC is from uh, was two thousand five, and Microsoft popularized CSV what easily ten years before that, probably. Yes. So that's where a lot of these RFCs work, though. They're to standardize what people are, and in many cases, they're to standardize what people are already doing. That were that was a what's it what's it called when something's not a standard? It's a um oh gosh, it's some there's some Latin term. De facto. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Either, either way, my only point was that if the file format is not consistent enough, then what these tools often offer is they will normalize it. They will take it and they will normalize it and then they'll they'll feed it in. Yeah. And and so, and that's some of the value that you can get out of some of these official connectors is they'll normalize the data so that you're not having to deal with all the quirks or nuances or, or things that, that that spec kind of yeah. comes with. Right. Um, anyway, okay, uh, I have another, I have a little news thing here, which is just that IntelliJ 2017 is out. Did you upgrade? I believe I did. Yeah, see, I didn't upgrade because I... It got, came with a new white background on the splash screen. I have an upgrade. I just said oh. I haven't upgraded. Yeah, Okay. I have. You know, I, I, um, I got the notification in IntelliJ, but I immediately popped over, well, the first thing I was thinking of because is, is um, do my, do all the plugins I use have any problem or do they fully mm. support 2017? Yeah. So I went and read all that stuff. Um, and on that note, it looks like until or Illuminated Cloud supposedly um, ha has no known issues with it. So if you've been on the fence like me, uh, and that's your main plugin, then you should be fine. <clears throat> I've got a lot of yeah. I'm not smart enough though, to so. go and check compatibility. You just like, I just, yes. I just I just like new shiny things. <laughs> yeah. Oh my hell yeah, let's upgrade. Let's do this. That's what I hated about Eclipse. John Santiago, clearly not a system administrator. That, that's what I hated about Eclipse, too, because a new Eclipse would come out, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's let's upgrade. Oh, and then find whew. out my freaking yeah. force.com IDE doesn't, it doesn't work with it. That's a bad idea. So, um, But yeah, uh, it looks like I, I was kind of read, read through the new features of the 2017, and I didn't see anything that blew me away that was like, oh, this huge... It just looked like they just had a bunch of solid improvements across everything from version control to find and replace to all the different language support and framework support, you know, Angular, Vue.js, Groovy, Grails, all the, just kind of across the board, just all kinds of um, goodness improvements. It's good to hear. Um, there, um, I saw they also listed like some improvements in their database tools, which... Do you remember me talking about that? How I discovered that until I just got some actually pretty nice database tools that I was using to run like data migrations and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. <clears throat> so 
Uh, suppose it doesn't have gotten better. Um, yeah, so if you've been if you've been worried about compatibility with Illuminated Cloud, uh, it seems that you are free and safe to uh, to upgrade. There you go. You have Jeremy's stamp of approval yep. to upgrade. And if it goes wrong, uh, you can uh, contact him at uh, Jeremy Ross on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Info at gooddaysirdpodcast.com. Attention, Jeremy. <laughs> um, I also wanted to give an update on, you know, I was looking at these different little um, dropler, drop share. What's that? Oh, um, Are you still trying to find one well, that works for I was just I was looking at them mm-hmm. and I, I had, um, God, there's another one, app, uh, cloud app, cloud app. Was one another one that's really popular? I remember. Those I think I tried that, that one. I don't so think these are things that sit in me. your menu bar, and you can just yeah. drag any file onto them, and it gives you and it gives you a URL that you can then just send to someone to quickly share files. And a lot of them, there's all kinds of value added stuff they do. So if it's a video file that you dropped in there, when someone clicks on it, it'll it'll actually render a web page that with a with a player, mm-hmm. right? So they can just watch it on their browser, or they can also download that kind of stuff. And but my problem with them is that it's just that it's like this is another thing that costs me ten or twelve bucks a month. So you know, hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty dollars a year. It's like, do I need yet another? I mean, I have so many. In fact, I had a credit card that was recently compromised. Mm-hmm. And, Sorry about that. Yeah, and so they had to they had to cancel it and give me a new card with a new number. And that's one that's one of those things that makes you realize how much re, um, what do you call it? like recurring crap. I mean, oh, yeah. I've got so many services yeah. that are like ten bucks, twenty bucks, twelve bucks, fifteen bucks, and it's just I do I really need another one? Yeah. So anyway, I went. I went ahead and I, I actually bought DropShare, which is you actually you buy the you don't. It's not a subscription because for the model that I chose, I'm not using them to host all my files because they they actually they do have their own like cloud hosting service now for mm-hmm. that. But historically, they haven't had that. You you use one of the many third party ones, and you just buy you license the software for them. So it's a one time. I think I pay. I think it was twenty or twenty five bucks. So I went ahead and bought that. Hmm. And I thought, well, I know I can at least use Google Drive because that's one of the backends for it. Right. And what I didn't know is like, uh, I, I wondered like, okay, if you use Google Drive as your backend for this, when you share someone a file, like, can they even tell us from Google Drive? Is it, is it, does it actually literally go to like drive.google.com or is there whatever? But but anyway, it turns out it does. It, you, you can totally tell it's Google Drive. And um, what it does is it creates a folder in your Google Drive mm-hmm. and j- that's just for it and that's where it puts all these things. You can go in whenever you want to and clean them out, clear them out. Oh, another reason I picked a Google Drive is because, well, I already have it. It's already set up easy. But I'll, I have like, I don't think I, I'm not even sure on this particular account if I pay for a Google Drive or not, but it's got like 16 gig. I have like 16 gig of headroom right now on that, mm-hmm. which may not be that much compared to some people's, but I mean, for me, it's like plenty. But yeah, you can tell when if I do a drop share and then send you the URL to it, and it's you know with my Google Drive backend, right. um, it's a it's a drive.google.com link, uh, but it's it goes right to that thing. And if it's an if it's an image, then it's just like you know it's kind of rendered. You can tell it's Google Drive. It's got like a little menu bar at the top. It's that black background. It's basically it puts you in a preview mode. You know how Google Drive if there's like yeah a, I don't know I have, well, I have I a love hate with that. Sometimes I do too. it works great and I'm happy, and other times I'm just like oh this I sucks. do too. Um, but one thing that I noticed, I tried a video, and what's great about Google Drive as the back end is that you it looks like it uses a kind of a you know like a white labeled version of YouTube. So it's still in the Google Drive preview, but the player looks just like YouTube, except it doesn't have the little YouTube logo on the bottom right to click on to view it in YouTube. So I actually think it's not available anywhere at youtube.com, but it's using mm-hmm. YouTube's like rendering engine and the player and everything. And so it, it actually works really good because the main problem I had with what was I using before? Oh, there's a dropper or one of these other ones. No, Dropbox. 
Yeah, it was yeah, Dropbox. Yeah, Dropbox creates a crummy, low-quality rendering. And anytime you send someone a link to a video you've uploaded, it plays in the in the browser using a low-quality image or a vi- uh, version of it. But it doesn't tell the person, hey, this isn't the SD version. If you want the HD click here, does, there's, that's not even an option. Like, the only thing you can do is download the video and then play it locally. And like, this is, this is yeah. not good. So... Yeah, I think the Google Drive, I've only played with it a few minutes, but it seems to be, it's, yeah, it's fine. And I really like the way it handles the videos because it doesn't get much better than YouTube, YouTube's video player. And now you can propagate all your cat videos. Exactly. Very nice. Yep. <laughs> um, I got just one other little thing before we can dig in all your topics since this is supposed to be the John Show. I know, and you haven't shut up yet. I, I read something, <laughs> and I probably, I don't know. I read this on someone's, someone either tweeted this or it was in a blog. Oh, no, I remember it now. It was um, Peter Chittum uh, did some kind of blog post or announcement that he's got some kind of training that's coming up that he's doing. But one of the things he says in there is that uh, developer console and Workbench are the primary tools for prototyping SQL queries. In fact, I think the training he's doing is on, you know, SQL, mm. like how to, right. what SQL is, how to write good queries and whatever. Um, but yeah, so developer console and workbench are the primary tools for prototyping SQL. And I just want just wonder, do you do you use either of those tools to prototype SQL? No. I don't either. Do you first of all, um, so developer console for me, it's 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 useful sometimes. There's certain things I'll get into developer console to do, like if I need to um schedule a, a schedulable Apex class or quick little things, I'll get in there and do it. But I don't yeah. generally build stuff into I just don't think developer console is even remotely close enough to to be something that you just are building software in. Right. I've um, seen people do it though. It, it's frustrating, but I've seen them do it. Uh, more power to you. I don't see how you're doing that. I don't see how you're version controlling. I don't see how you're getting keyboard shortcuts to work. No, yeah, it's, it's uh, painful it's, to watch. Yeah. I mean, um, but Workbench. Um, I think I looked at Workbench a couple times and thought, mm, no thanks. Have you used Workbench? Am I? I think I looked at it once, and I I, I just never started using it. I never created the okay. practice. I mean, so we're both ignorant on this. But people yeah. people use Workbench. I mean, I hear people talk about it all the time. But I just I, I don't know. I didn't I guess I didn't find a use for it. Maybe maybe it's that's because with things like Illuminated Clouds, you know, IntelliJ plugin, so many of those tools are right in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it could be that just you know, from, as from a developer perspective, we've got that covered, and maybe for admins or someone else who doesn't have that, that it's a much easier tool to use. It just seems like, I don't know, it seems like a lot of developers, I do see them making reference to Workbench quite a bit. Mm. I just wonder if there's something I'm missing here. But yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. All right, well... Give it one, another look. You got topics you want to... I, I do have a couple of topics, but uh, actually just two, actually. But I'll let you... <laughs> Sloppy journalism. Jump into It's one of my favorite topics. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, actually, I have an apology to make, believe this, it or not. I mean, what, what kind of sloppy journalism are you talking about? Uh, tech, tech journalists. This is tech journalism. This is tech journalism. Gen- Keep in mind, general. these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. All right, so I have an apology to make because I think last week I kind of railed against Salesforce and Benioff and all his wisdom on on what I called his virtue signaling on the wage gap. But here's where here's where his genius lies. Google Salesforce wage gap and look at the top four articles. I'll read them to you. Salesforce has spent about $6 million to fix its gender and racial pay gap. Equality at Salesforce, the equal pay assessment update. Salesforce spent $3 million to close the, the gender pay gap. Salesforce CEO Mark Brinoff, we're erasing our gender pay gap. Now, do that same exercise with Google. Google, 
wage gap. Yeah. Sean, see, you're doing some homework here. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Women at Google face extreme systemic wage gap. Oh, yeah. Google pushes back on pushes gender back. pay gap. Google releases payment method in attempt to prove no gender oh, gap. Oh, look at this one. Google accused of extreme gender pay discrimination by U.S. Labor Department. Yeah. Man, this is official government stuff, man. This is. That's Google. This is a horrible place to work. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I got to walk that back. Benioff knows what he's doing. By what have I been saying, these. John? What have I been saying about I'm... him? He gets out in front of these topics to <laughs> immunize himself and his company against any kind of claims whatsoever. I know. And someone made a claim at Salesforce, like like his like the type of thing that's been made at Uber or whatever. People just wouldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, why do you think? Okay, how does Benioff get away with driving up? I mean, being largely responsible for driving up, you know, homing, home prices even more in San Francisco and all this other mm -hmm. stuff, and, and building these, you know, giant towers, and, and no, you, you never hear any criticisms of Salesforce or any questioning of, even questioning yeah. of, of the effect they're having on the local community. Why? Do you not hear anything about that? Well, maybe because he donates to all the politicians. He's best friends with Ed Lee. Uh, he d gives money to the schools. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, for him, it's pocket change. This is not like, you know, it's not a big deal, but it's it's enough. Yeah. But again, this this is business, and I think and I think he just you know he's he's good at that. Um, you know, I think I think some people probably would find that distasteful. That that's and I don't know. I mean, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to get in his head and say that um, he's not doing this for for good reasons and everything. But it certainly is a damn good side effect yeah. that. <laughs> You kind of become untouchable. Yeah, and, and just just to, just that Google search alone just proves it. I mean, yeah, he got way in front of that, and and so any article you can that's going to kind of bubble up to the top is is all positive for Salesforce. Yeah. Yep. Um, versus Google, but here, here getting back to the kind of sloppy journalism here, I noticed a lot of them were saying um, that the 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 Labor Department was was really hammering Google, and they were used. They quoted these words. They said extreme systemic. And I was like, that doesn't sound like something that the government would say. Um, and so I tried to find, okay. Extreme systemic what? Women at Google face extreme systemic, and the extreme systemic is in quotes, mm -hmm. wage gap. Which to me says they're quoting the Department of Labor. Somehow yeah. they sourced that from them. Right. So I clicked on their sources. I went to the, to the news report of the complaint. And then from there, I dug into the actual complaint. Which is a bunch of legalese, but all that all that did, complaint. Did someone says, bring a complaint to the Department of Labor because that's actually not no, their, even their. That's not even it, in their charter to, to it is, do that. It is. It is, but only because they they do a compliance audit on Google because Google has contracts with them. So whenever you're contract with the government and you're servicing the government, they they will mm. periodically audit you to make sure you're in compliance of whatever whatever their and, laws are. And I mean, really, I mean, do people believe that Google has? just an intentional, institutional, embedded, extreme, ex I mean, extreme discrimination against women. You would think so by these headlines that they're pushing. These, these that, clickbaity headlines that I, they're pushing. That's what I would think. That that's what they say. That's what the that's headlines what say. <laughs> but like I said, I, I looked in, in that news report from the Department of Labor. I looked at their press release and I looked at the complaint. And the complaint is very dry. It lists the parties involved. It lists the, the laws that, or the compliance that they were supposed to follow. And it doesn't even say anything about finding anything. It just says we asked them for um, how they pay people and all that kind of stuff. Because they're they're analyzing it. I have no idea where they got this extreme systemic quote so, from. So <clears throat> okay, so Google says that they vehemently disagree with the the claim. Right. 
They're apparently doing some kind of what, what they're calling blind. Pl- like a, blind. probably a blind study of some sort. No, 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 no. They, it, there's a name for it. Okay. They call it, um, uh, what do they call it? Yeah, you're right. Because Google gender a- blind, they call it the, the gender blind, um, uh, payment system. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know the memes. Okay. So apparently, like the job role gets put into the system, and, and all these factors and all these algorithms start taking into effect that calculate, you know, all these different things and take into account, you know, all these different factors. I, I'm not going to go into it, and I read it, but I just don't understand. See, and then, then guess we were, what we were talking about last week, which which is you can't just like see how many check boxes someone has on their resume <laughs> to see what to pay them. That, that's well. Let's just go back to the to the to the Benioff thing where he said all you have to do is press a button and you've got equality. And apparently, oh, yeah. Google had a button and that button. They say the button's still working, but but the Labor Department wants to audit it and find out if that button really is working. Yeah. Google's, or uh, Bender's got one of these. Oh, that that was that was nice. What happened? Did you even hear that? No. Me neither. What'd you do? Well, I tried to do something. Messing with the flow of things, I man. I know, sorry. I'm having to stop. All right, let me try another one. Hang on. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. <laughs> You got one to come through, and now they're not coming through. That was easy. There we go. I don't know why that was so hard. <laughs> anyway, Benny has got one of those. That didn't pay off. No, it didn't. No, they usually don't. <laughs> That's why I'm a podcaster, not a professional yeah, broadcaster. So, I don't know. I, I I found that the the headlines on this to be really suspect. I mean, they were they were just all about the clickbait. Nothing's been proven. Nothing's. There's just a. There's just a complaint. Well, there's so much hysteria around this thing and a lot, a lot of these SJW topics that it's it's hard to tell when. I mean, there's the problem is there's smoke everywhere, right? There's yeah. smoke everywhere, and yeah. the question is, is I mean, it's just so it's so hard to tell. I, and it's also, it's a complicated topic. I think that's the problem with this. It's a very complex topic. Um, yeah. This whole idea of well, so equality. Um, because I think there's two different ways to look at equality. Like one is one is that well, we you know we should all be have equal opportunities and we, well and equal equal pay, right? And and because we are equal. And the other side of that's like, well, what do you mean we're not equal? I mean, we're we're t- everyone's different. I mean, men are you know women are different than men, and and any individual is different from any other individual. Does that mean? I don't mean that one's better or worse on some on some qualitative scale or right. quantitative scale. Yeah. I just mean we're different. We all have different skills and different needs and idiosyncrasies and this whole like equalization of everything like homogenization it's like these are humans you you can't do that it doesn't so i i understand the, like the need for the and the desire for fairness and at least like an a fair shot at things but to say that we're all equal it doesn't even make sense to me like of course we're not equal we're all different yeah and to try to just i don't know uh you know just whitewash everything into this and to turn everyone into these, you know, uh, drones that fit this perfect shape, and it, it doesn't work that way. It, it, so it's very complex. Back to my kind of the point I was trying to make. It's very difficult to say, well, here's this man making this much money, and this woman that is has the same job title making this much money. Why, sh- you know, why does she make this much? And he makes this much. Well, that's that's actually very complicated. That's a very complex question. I'm not trying to make excuses for if there is just some, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, like, I, I don't know. It gets. It also gets back to like, well, if there's a company that's just like, hey, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna pay all these women less because just they're women. I mean, they they couldn't possibly be any good, right? Wouldn't wouldn't they not be able to hire women at that point? Because women they're obviously gonna go to the company that pays them what they're worth. Yeah, and I, and I, I think so. And I know also that's also a, a complete over uh, 
simplification. Well, I mean, the, yeah, 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 I guess the problem with that is no one talks about their salary. So how do you know? Well, don't people, or do they not? I mean, I don't know. That's yeah, usually frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess so. And plus, people don't no, want to no, no. tell no, no. you, because you, what if you are making on, hang more? Hang on, hang on, But I, 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 think, I think your logic is flying here. When, if a woman is going and applying at three or four different companies, she doesn't have to talk to other people. She just has to look at the offer she's gotten. And if there's a company that's underpaying women, it's going to be close. She's not going to get an offer for them. That company's not going to be able to hire women as effectively as other companies because they're underpaying. Yeah. Uh, of course, I guess I think one of the theories is that just everyone is underpaying women because they're all horrible and and women. So I, I yeah, I mean that scenario seems fair, but I think I think about the other scenario where you've, you've you're hired at a company and then you're advancing within that company and you're taking on new job roles or you're taking on new responsibilities, and you know I, I think a lot of a lot of it is with with that part of it, not so much the hiring part of it, because yeah, I mean at that point you have a choice and or I hope you have a choice. I hope you've gone out and gotten a bunch of offers and you can make that decision. But once you're in and you're kind of getting promoted and you're going through the cycle and, you know, I think that's where you start to see some of that. So, so they paid you fairly to get in because if not, you wouldn't have taken the job. But once you're in, then there's some subversive system to have you on a slower track than men. No, I don't think so. I, I'm not trying to argue that, uh, I'm not trying to argue for right. why this exists. I'm just saying that well, there's other scenarios where where you don't have the opportunity to to see what what everyone else is getting paid, where you yeah, don't get to no, see, you know, a, a direct correlation between all your responsibilities and the things that you took on to advance your. Because I mean, well, think about it. There, there are things I did as a you know title. Uh, my title was like I don't know salesman or something, and I was building tools to help me sell. So I was I, I was doing a lot more than anyone else because I was sucked at selling. But that wasn't that wasn't part of my job. I wasn't compensated for that. But those are things I did to try to help myself and advance myself. And, and other people do things. They take on more responsibility. They take on this new project and they stretch themselves to to take this on to to kind of do their due diligence or what is it? Pay their dues. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's funny because and you hope there's a payoff, right? The, what's the reason that that people generally are not allowed to talk about salaries? I mean, that's a fireable offense generally to talk about pay. Why is why is that, John? I don't know. I that's, guess, to, that's to protect the company. I, yeah, yeah. I guess that's to protect the company. It's I, not, it has nothing to do. I with, guess I've been conditioned by by corporate no, America to not well, talk about you, what I make. And when, what what's the point of what? What is the made the the most important and pretty much sole function of HR in a company? It's to it's to protect the company from its employees. I it's not for no. It's it's absolutely true. It's not yeah. for employees. It's to protect the company from its employees. But this whole thing of oh, sal- you know, salaries have to be secret. Well, now that's 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 working against people. That's working against women, uh, ostensibly. Yeah, and, and I have seen I've seen you know, I don't want to say put maybe pushes, but I've I've seen people talk about that and say, hey, we need to all start sharing our salaries so yeah. that we can make sure everyone's. But boy, that's that's got all kinds of other problems too. I, I'm conditioned. I, well, I, here's the ask, ask no. me what I'm getting paid right now, uh, and I will cringe. I'll hey, be here, like, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. It's it's problematic because again people tend to like if if you got you know a woman that goes to her female colleague at the company and says hey you know I'm concerned I'm not making enough what are you making and then if she gives her an, or let's say she goes that's probably not a good example she goes to a man and says hey you know her someone she in the cube next to her that does what she does in her department I'm concerned I'm not making enough what are you making and again let's say that he's making a little bit more right well what is she going to think. Or what is she? Again, I feel like people are conditioned to think. Well, obviously, it's because she's a woman, right? Well, <laughs> is it? 
right? Or and if it's flipped, if if the woman was making more than the man, he's going to think, well, I know why because we have a, our boss is a woman. That's why she's making more than me. Well, not hold on, partner. <laughs> just, just because your boss is a woman doesn't mean that's why your woman colleague is making more than you. It could be because she's actually better than you, or she has, you know, she's uh, got more experience, or she's better at what she does. You know. Right. It's weird because I'm, you know, being the libertarian, like I, I feel like the market, as much as possible, we should let, I mean, market solutions are always better than any kind of, you know, regulation or having the government come in or these, or these constant virtue signaling and self-flogging that these companies do about their, whether it's their, um, the, the big ones, their demographics, I guess, you know, oh, we're so bad because we have white guys, you know, oh, we wish we didn't have so many white guys. That's, that's pretty much what it is all the time. Um, and it just it just gets you know it's boring, but it'd be much better if you have market solutions and or if if the, you let the market take care of it. I mean, again, if you've got a company that's paying that's inst- like what is being accused of at Google that they're you know let's say um, Salesforce pays these women that you know programmers one hundred twenty grand and Google only pays hundred grand. Well, wouldn't fewer women want to go work at Google at that point? Wouldn't they have a hard time hiring women? I would think so. And, and they're also in in with as competitive as it is for talent in in their industry and in that geographical area. Wouldn't they have a hard time competing at that point? They're lo- they're losing like this major group of people, women, and and they're they're just losing this talented group of people. Like it, most of companies can't afford to not to take a whole significant chunk of the labor pool and exclude them from uh, from even, from consideration. Basically, I mean, I just I don't know. Like it's, it's you would think that these things would work themselves out. Or, or you know the other argument, and I, and I know there's arguments against these things, but the other one is, if companies can get away with paying women less than men, and, and, and who ha- women at the, who have the same capabilities, same skills, same experience that the men do, wouldn't they just fire their men and replace them with women who make, who would, they could pay less, and they could totally have market domination at that point? I don't know. There's still there's still a labor pool to think about. There's still the number of people that are available to you, talent wise. That's yeah. true. I mean, I don't know. The, 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 I think the point is that it's it's a really complicated thing. It's not just male or female or, or gender or anything like that. I think there's there's a lot of factors, a lot of things that happen. I mean, even even Salesforce or Benioff had to admit that it's something that you have to constantly monitor. Well, it's not going to yeah. the, the the drift happens, and whether it's intentional or unintentional or whatever, the drift happens and. From from what I'm gathering from what he's saying is that there's a, there's a constant self correction that has to go that has yeah. to happen. Right. Yeah. It's just when you uh, when you try to oversimplify it, or when you you know the whole like whatever women make seventy eight cents on the dollar. I mean that's you you have to. That is a very actually anti science anti scientific way of looking at it. There, it's much more complicated than that. There's a lot of things you have to block for. There's a lot of statistics that go into that. And if you don't understand those, then you're probably going to reach wrong conclusions. Um, I do like pragmatically though some of the things that Salesforce has done in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just reading about this earlier. That's the only reason I know about this. Um, I'll, and I'll forget by tonight. But they, um, they, uh, I read that they, um, I think in any hiring, like, because you, I think comes generally put together like a kind of almost like a panel of people to do interviewing and hiring. Mm-hmm. They always, they make sure that they've got women on, on all those. Like there's no, should be no scenario where like so, a candidate hasn't been, um, you know, interviewed by a, a woman. They so they make sure that women are always involved in that. And also, Salesforce hasn't. I don't. I feel like they've avoided doing like rash and stupid things. Like we're going to fire twenty percent of our male uh, management team and replace them with women. Like they haven't. They're not doing stupid things. They're 
They seem to be, of course, there, there are the, oh, we spent $2 million to collect our, well, and it turns out that like, that's like, you know, a thousand bucks a person or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, which is probably less than a percent of their actual. So it's, they, they, you know, they're going to get their headlines because that's what Salesforce does. They're PR masters. They're going to get headlines. But when it, you know, actual things are doing internally, I think make a lot of sense, you know, make sure that, you know, you don't have a, you know, you're not having meetings um, on important stuff when there's like, there's no women involved. I mean, you just kind of need, I think, I think it makes sense to have, I don't know. <laughs> but the funny thing about that is that's 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 kind of in a way acknowledging that men and women are different. They're not equal. You, you need a woman's perspective. Is that's that I feel sexist saying that. You know why? Because that's me saying that women have a different brain than men do. Is that one of those? It, it, it depends on how you say it. If you say it just right, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're a Democrat, it's okay. <laughs> But, you know, I, I feel like you need a woman's perspective. And I, it makes a lot of sense to not have any, you know, um, teams or groups or departments that, are, that don't have a, a, an appropriate mix of people from diverse. I really think it's a more diversity of thought. You know, you don't yeah, want to have me, like me, siloed just, echo chamber, you know, yeah. thought. What's that, what's that called, you know? Thought circles where everyone's just bouncing around the, the same the old idea. boys club, yeah, or whether it's where everyone's just patting each other on the back right. and they're they're all just trying to they're impress just, the alpha. It's people thought that all have the same opinion about something. Well, that's boring. Yeah. That's not going to get you a diversity of. That's yeah. not going to. That's not going to surface the best ideas. Right. Anyway, this is just an, another example of the two guys, <laughs> two dudes solving the <laughs> the gender problem. <laughs> No, I wouldn't say solving. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 my thing too. Is I, I it's a complicated problem, but you, so much in the headlines and everything else, they make it seem like it's a simple problem to solve. Like just just do this, press this button, and it's done. Yeah. Why aren't you willing to press the button? And, and, there's, and so I, I just feel like a lot of that's just really disingenuous. And and but eh. and it's a shame that something like this attracts so much. Uh, uh, demagoguing and exaggeration and showboating and self-flogging and just it's like with any, it's and so also, distracting that's the problem it's distracting from actually f- ferreting out the the problems where they are and fixing them with with sensible solutions yeah but again I do I do have to give Salesforce some credit if that's what they're doing because it, it does seem like they are taking like like reasonable steps that that yeah. actually are having for what would to me anyway logically are you know it would make sense. Seemed like they would help. Wow, we uh, that was an unplanned topic that we completely beat to death. <laughs> you took it there. I mean, I feel like people don't think we are two couple of dude bros, like you know, mansplaining. Because I, I hope that's not what we're doing. I feel like I don't feel like it is. Like I'm mean, always just trying to understand. I mean, this issue just constantly it's it's not going away. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I feel so separated from it because I don't work in a big company, and I think geographically it tends to be a. It seems to be a much bigger problem, you know, on the West Coast. Really, I mean, San Francisco, that's where you hear about it the most. I don't yeah, even I hear about it near as more much sensitive on the East Coast. Coast but yeah, I, I don't it know. It does seem like a lot of the... Well, well, we're talking about tech, and tech has concentrated in the, in, on, the, on the West Coast, so that, that's probably a lot of it. I guess so. You want to change the subject? Yes, please. You want to you queue up creepiness? Yeah, I got all kinds of creepiness. Queue up creepiness. <laughs> okay. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. All right, John, let's, let's head into creepy here. What do you got for us? This is a movie. Okay. This is a movie I saw a preview for uh, two nights ago. 
And uh, I don't I don't normally go for these type of movies. I think when I was younger, I did. I kind of was into the sci-fi corporate thrillers, the Michael Crichtons of the the movie era. <clears throat> when every every book he was every, every book he chewed, <laughs> spit out got turned into a movie. Yep. This one's called The Circle. Have you heard of it? No. This one's got Tom Hanks, uh, Emma Watson. Um, the only other person I recognize. Well, I mean, there's a, like Bill Paxton, but um, John Boyega, who you guys might know as Finn from. Uh, Star Wars. Bill Paxton. Yeah, uh, didn't did yeah. he just die? Yeah. Okay. But apparently he plays her father. So this might have been even his last role. But uh, anyways, it's it's um, it was interesting because I couldn't tell who they looked like they were taking like some of these big companies like Apple and Google and all these really big tech companies and kind of making this one big company. But their whole thing was was about um, the information that they gather from us, the the information that they have access to, and collecting more information. And the, and the way they did that sales pitch for it, which is kind of a very TED Talk-like uh, format or even like an Apple event type format where they're talking about all these things about how, you know, collecting all this information will advance humanity, it'll advance healthcare, it'll advance all these things and all these reasons to have all this information about you. But then then the thriller part of the of, of the of the whole plot starts to to evolve in that how how really creepy it's getting and how they're using this data and what they're really using it for and all those kind Super of things. Super creepy. So, so I don't know. I, I, I think it's... I'm not normally into these movies, but this might be one to see. Hmm. Just because it seems relevant in our day and age of, yeah. of how creepy it is and how, you know, the younger generation is just, they're, they're an open book. They share everything. Everything they do, everything is, is recorded, is shared, is, is posted. And then we talk about privacy laws and everything else. And, you know, that's our data. That's your data. You're giving it all away. Right. <laughs> and they're going to do everything. They can watch you. They can watch you through your phones, whatever. And you know, I mean, the funny thing is, is we're all in the, working this ecosystem of Salesforce, which Salesforce is a is an absolute top tier player in the collection of all this private data, right? Because they, especially in the, all the marketing areas, I mean, it's it's Salesforce's job to help companies um, know everything about what what you buy, what you want to buy, what you just bought, what you just did, tracking you on your journey. They can, you know, essentially track you from website to website to website legally because. The right people have been paid. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the one of the defining now, pe- people moments. were worrying. People were freaking out about this um, thing w- that would prevent how ISPs can monetize your uh, the data for the the I basically the IP addresses you had. They could theoretically they could figure out. Well, not theoretically, they they could based on which IP addresses you go. Even if you're encrypted, right? That's that mm-hmm. was that's the concern. Is they can still tell basically what websites you go to, what's whose systems you're hitting. So if you have the the example is the um, the the IoT vibrator, it's like a basically a, 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 a vibrator. <laughs> you had to work that into the I conversation. Know, of <laughs> the, the title right there too, you know. Um, yeah, you, you, they're gonna know if you've got that product, um, even if it's SSL, right? Um, but the the reality is, is it's we have a much bigger problem than that. That's a distraction. I mean, the much bigger problem is is that is that um, is not is the browsers the browser vendors are there's no rule against them the people that you're putting all your stuff into they have data on you um all the salesforces the omnitures the eloquas the the, um, the google the, the google tracker that's on basically every website in the world they, mm-hmm. they it, these things are tracking you from site to site to site and yeah. there's no i mean there are some regulations but they're they're carefully crafted so that these things are all still possible there is no privacy you have no privacy in the current framework of laws and regulations. Yeah, and, and I mean, not all of it's kind of taken to serve an evil purpose, but 
you can see where some of that information could could end up in in hands that where they want to use it. Yeah, yeah in, that, in ways that maybe right. you wouldn't approve of. No, that, I think that can make a good plot just just because it it is a top. Well, of one one, one defining this. moment of this trailer, and again, I, it was all this information is coming from a trailer, and I, I probably read the storyline to you. That'll make more sense. But in one one aspect of it, uh, a coworker was was at, was giving her advice, saying, you know, you missed a few of these big, really big public events. You know, maybe you could advance more if you showed up to these things. And she was and she was like. Yeah, I couldn't make it. My father had an episode, and one of the other coworkers walked up and said, "Oh, because your father's MS," and she just had this shocked look. But her her life was an open book. Everyone knew everything about her and her friends and her family. So it's not even just you; it's all the, all your connections. Everyone you're connected with. Yeah, their information is now being fed in. Yep. So it is. Creepy. I don't know. I think it could be an interesting movie. Um, if anything, just <laughs> just because it seems somewhat relevant, and and it might be a little bit fear mongering or anything. Or it, again, it's it's a movie. It's for entertainment, but. I don't know. All right. Well, I've got something that uh, starts off with just a big pet peeve of mine, which is that anytime like an article or a, or a news reporter, or one of these TV people or any of these things, when, when they ask you a question, so here's the question that was the headline. Are these funds plotting to oust Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff? I doubt it. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, what do I have for this? <laughs> Uh, so dramatic. So several hedge funds known for their activist approaches to reforming the management of companies they target have recently disclosed their holdings in Salesforce. Uh, just, I've never even heard of these, but anyway. Uh, with these activist funds invested in Salesforce, the company's founder, uh, Mark Benioff, could be a target. Uh, that Salesforce has remained largely unprofitable. Are you communicating with people over there? What are you doing? I'm making notes. Okay. Catch and release. That's fine. That, that, that Salesforce has remained largely unprofitable under Benioff, and the stock registered a downbeat performance in 2016. Uh, some investors may feel that Benioff has done his part and needs to step down so that a fresh face can steer the company through its next phase of growth. See, I think... I doubt it. I th- okay, that's, a, that's an interesting proposition, but let me, let me get through the rest of this. Um, Salesforce's stock performance was underwhelming last year. It fell 13% during a period of time when the S&P rose... Uh, 10%. And its peers and Oracle, uh, its peers, Microsoft and Oracle, rose 5% and 12%. Oracle was up 12% over this period. Uh, it says the funds could also be interested in pushing for greater financial control at Salesforce. The company has recently stepped up its, start, uh, its, its startup acquisitions, which will likely drive up its costs and potentially prolong its path to profitability. Um, I do wonder, um, not necessarily you know, a full aster of Benioff, but I, I wonder if you know, a, a changing role for him might be in order. In what way, though? I mean, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's not doing his job as CEO. Well, we ha- we're dealing with an almost twenty-year-old public company who doesn't make money. Do you, isn't that possibly considered to be a failure of doing his job? Just from that aspect, I just wonder what aspects because they make comparisons to Oracle and Google and and probably Microsoft and, and what aspects of that are they talking about? Because I mean, if we're just talking about it, it's the, the, very simple. No, it's very simple. I mean, basically, the the value of a company is defined as its net earnings. Okay, Salesforce yeah, has no earnings. Uh, no, no true, gap. True, but I mean, is, is Oracle and Microsoft? Uh, I'm playing devil's advocate here. No, if fine. Oracle and Microsoft are, you know, what the comparison is, their business is far more diverse than Salesforce is. Well, maybe Salesforce should diversify. I mean. Well, that's what they're trying to do, and they're doing all these acquisitions, and now they're getting knocked for it because if they make those acquisitions, if they start investing more in these startups, then yeah, maybe the idea is that it's just it's it's uh, day late a dollar short. Like you maybe maybe you should have done that ten years ago. I mean, it's been it's been you know what are they? How old is Salesforce? Eighteen years old? Nineteen? I don't know. 
Anyway, that's just, again, one of these speculative, it is, it is know, speculative. fact free articles, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely the, the line of thinking, though, is it's a valid, I think it's a rational line of thinking. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, there's no meat there. There's no, there's no data there, there or in terms of, and also, I, I think, you know, if you add up, I saw this somewhere else, separate article, but I, I think, you know, these, some of these activists or this group of activist funds, mm-hmm. you only own like, I, mean, I think, 2% of Salesforce. So I don't think it's, I don't think it would be enough. They'd have to, they'd have to either get some more people on board, you know, some other funds, or they'd have to convince some of the, some of these other big funds that are in Salesforce too, mm-hmm. you know, which they could do. I mean, that's kind of what these activists do. Yeah. They, they campaign and get other uh, investors involved. Well, last, last uh, Thursday, because we record on Wednesdays, we missed an event. We missed uh, the capping off of the tower. <laughs> Benioff got to sign the beam. Sign the beam, yeah. And got, yeah. got sent up. But some interesting information came out about that. So I think that building... Yeah, you know what? It came out of that? About 3,000 articles. <laughs> I mean, their yes. PR... T- I mean, yeah. PR team at Salesforce, <laughs> way to go. Well... It's hard to, yes, it's going to be the tallest, but but they had pictures of what it's like on that top floor, <clears throat> or at the 60th floor, I guess that's the top floor. And that's quite a view. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, that view. But um, the, the things that I took a note, is I think it's 60 floors, but I assumed that Salesforce would have the top floors, but they don't. They're taking the first 30 floors. So they're going to have the first 30 floors of that building. The bottom 30 floors? First bottom yeah. floor. <clears throat> well, because... Who Plus, wants, who wants a long? I mean, I know the top floors are considered to be more like elite or something, but who wants? That's a long elevator ride. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why. What floor are we on here? Third? I, I, that's that's high enough for me. I've got a view, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I always assumed Benioff would be at the top to to you know right. of the. Top. I know you read about that the, the very top floor, right? That yeah, so, so they, so they, the they are going to have the two, the top two floors. You know, what? but I, they're they're next, not going to be used for offices. When I'm in when I'm in when next maybe next I don't know if we ever go to Dreamforce again or when once this building's finished and we're in San Francisco. I'm, I want us to go into that building and see if we can get access. Hey, we're with the community. We, we, we demand access to the top floor. Should I, should I flash my MVP badge and say, can I get on the top floor? If that doesn't get us up, then what does? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do find that interesting. I, I don't know. I, I always assumed that he would, that, that would be Benioff Central, top floor. But uh, Yeah, because it's in, you know, that's at least in the movies and stuff. That's, yeah. I mean, I actually in real life, I mean, I've, yeah, usually the top floor is where the and oftentimes the top floor even the ceilings are higher and the doors are much taller because it's built for executives. Yeah. Not that executives are taller; they just it makes them feel better about themselves. <laughs> it, you get more room for all that hot air that they constantly spout. But it could make future events that much more interesting. I mean, you'll have you'll have a gigantic view of, of San Francisco. Well, first of all, have tower. you seen the square footage of those floors once you get that high in that building? Yeah, They're about twice starts, the size of our office yeah, here, so <laughs> not going to have a big party up there. Yeah, why not? And also, you gotta, can't remember, you got to remember, it probably, especially at that height, at least half of that floor is dedicated to uh, the elevators and to um, elect- like a, uh, mechanical. There's the mechanical shaft. I mean, there's not mm-hmm. that much room up there at that point. Stop killing my buzz, man. I, I want to go up yeah, there and see this my job. huge floor and all this kind of cool stuff, mm-hmm. some mindfulness areas, maybe some... Some tea, some hot tea stations. I don't know. I can <laughs> meditate on a beanbag or something. Hot tea stations. <laughs> how about a craft beer and a whiskey station? That's not. That's for partying, not meditating. Yeah, that's how I meditate. <laughs> you don't meditate. What? Yeah, the Native Americans meditated with you know stuff they smoked. No. <laughs> well, that's legal in San Francisco, isn't it? 
Um, yes, I didn't. Yeah. Well, I thought separate. I thought California passed finally. Yeah, see, so I mean, for the longest time they were there. Meditate with your peace pipe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have uh, I have one topic, which is the one I alluded to earlier, which is oh, you went from two topics to like fifty. And this this will be my closing topic. So if you have stuff after that, <laughs> that's fine. But um, mine is, um, it, and it's actually inspired by some reading I did. But it's also this is one of those things that I'm, uh, for better or worse, kind of always I went I don't know ranting on or whatever, um, talking to my clients about. And I've successfully uh, implemented this at you know, some clients and it's, it works out really well. But it's basically why you should release early or, you know, release early and often. And I'm talking about, you know, you start a, and let's say in the sales, in the context of, of Salesforce, you know, you start a, in a, a Salesforce project. And obviously this, is, this, only, this only applies to non-trivial projects. I mean, if you mm-hmm. just need a trigger, that, if that's your project and then it's your in and out, then, you know, you can fast forward this. I'm talking about, you know, sizable projects, you know, things that probably are on the scale of at least months um, and that have, you know, at least at least a, a team involved, uh, at least a one pizza team. A um, one pizza team? Yeah. What is a one pizza team? A team of the size that one pizza would feed the team. That does not exist. What? You can't feed a team with one pizza? With one no. pizza? No. Pizza's delicious. <laughs> a large is like a is like a personal pan pizza. <laughs> so so maybe maybe a one piece of team is is a team of one person then. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so I, you know I, I thought well why don't why don't I, because it, why don't we really so why do teams still and it's I think particularly in the Salesforce world it seems like things are very waterfall. Even Salesforce's own you know PS scripts I feel like from in my experience have been extremely waterfall oriented, huge upfront designs, big contracts where you are going upfront to lock down functionality, specific numbers of hours, all, all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and there's there's no room for experimentation or exploring, you know, ex- expo- you know, explorations or any, any of that kind of stuff. And my question is, well, why don't we? Why don't we release often? And I think it's I think a lot of it, number one, is is about um the fact that we just it's not the way we're grown up to, to think. We 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 are taught, we've always done it we, this way. We, yes, and and it, also think back to like your your time like with you know lean manufacturing things like that. Mm-hmm. It's against our. We're taught batch. We're taught batch from a, a young age. Yeah, and lean is all is a very anti batch. And I think the way to build software nowadays is is in you know basically not batching. You know single piece flow. Do you remember that? Do you remember single piece flow? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the same thing with software. I mean, I like watching. I like pulling a story into my, into the into the in progress of my Kanban board and and watching it go basically in, through development as some kind of test if, if that and and right into essentially right into production. I mean the the groups that I'm that I work with we we do have a about a usually a one week thing, but you can still see single piece. I mean we don't um, we don't batch things up. We don't even allow it's not uh, at least we try not to more than a couple of things in progress at a time because we like to keep whip to a minimum work in progress. Because that's just that's just a, that's just batches of stuff that are piling up. If you've got a lot in web, yeah, and it's also it's too many, especially in, in, in terms of software engineering and complexity. You've got too much stuff changing at one time, right? Uh, which is you know you kind of have an unstable system. You've got you're doing too much. Do less and release that, and then do, and then continue. Um, but you know the the thing is okay. Why don't we? Well, we well, we've always done it that way. Um, we have a fear of pain, just the pain, especially in the Salesforce world. People are, you know, you're, I'll talk to you about this and you're like, man, I'm just, how, how is it possible? You're, you're, we're afraid of the pain it's going to cause. How are, how are people who aren't developers going to do with this? How are they going to, how's everyone going to learn Git or how's everyone going to, you know, what, the, the tooling's not there, right? What kind of tooling are we going to use that supports this? 
And of course, that's 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 an evolving. I think that's an evolving story. The tooling aspect, especially with um, the, the some third third party and just individual things that people have done, but also with um, Salesforce's own you know DX efforts. Um, I think that's a evolving story. That's mm-hmm. you know I think always getting better. But definitely, I mean, they're, they're just the fear of pain, the pain that it would it would it would cause. The other one is the strive for perfection. Like people don't like. Um, people people are afraid to release something they don't think is perfect yet. Oh my gosh, it's not done. Why would you release it? <laughs> and even, you know, I say release, but that another thing that I do successfully on Salesforce projects all the time is, is especially in these situations where we are on a release, a weekly release schedule, and everything that got completed gets released to production every week. But the things we don't want to expose or whatever, that they get, we feature fly or feature enable. Right, those feature things. enable. Yeah, yeah. Um, now there are some situations, and there are occasions where, like, I think you need to do some work in a separate branch um, for a period of time, especially if it's going. If you're, you know, making changes to existing things, really, that's that's hard to feature enable. But even then, I mean, there there are again, it gets back to kind of different software engineering techniques. But there are even ways to to feature enable a new way of doing something. So if something, you know, you can you can toggle that or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, it's just that you know people are afraid to because we're always taught that you know you get it all done. It, it's, it's it really goes back to waterfall thinking. Let's make sure that spec is. You we just talked about this earlier, mm-hmm. and it, it gets it, it trickles into our thinking. Well, damn it, that spec wasn't perfect by the time they gave it to me. Well, and again, I mean the the reason that I think you hear people complaining about this stuff, even people who want to work in a better way, is because <laughs> they know that from everything they're doing downstream is going to be like that, and that's the system they're in. So in order for in order for you to be successful, you've got to make sure that the step before you was everything was wrapped up and done perfectly by, by the time it got to you, because that's the only way that you've got to work. Because you know you're just in the middle of this waterfall, basically. <laughs> you're not going to stop. You're not going to stop that water from flowing. It's going to flow. Yeah. <clears throat> um. I don't think from from my perspective on some at least for my recent experiences it's not so much that I needed waterfall or that I needed everything to be perfect but I needed the communication wasn't right you know e- even if you're not going to do waterfall even if you can do these you know agile sprints or whatever you still need to kind of know what you're going to build what the what the use case is what the scenario is and 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 understand that you know all the way from from the person developing to the person who's testing it yeah so you're both looking at the same thing uh, but again I, I think um I think that one one way to mitigate that is that, that's, that's fine. You're right. You do need. To, I mean, but when you start to build something, you need to. I mean, what I like to do is pull pull a card into in progress, and then okay, now who do I need to talk to about this? Like to because again, a, a, like I work with user stories generally, and the user stories usually just a statement. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's more things I need to know about that. I mean, there may be like a few like conditions of satisfaction or something like that. But I mean, generally, like I want to know like okay, well, how should this work or what should the user see. And that's when I have conversations. Like we we'll put together a little quick little mini team to to uh, hash that crap out. And then and then, but when you do it a true a true story at a time, not and I mean something that could be done in like you know two to eight hours, a story at a time. <clears throat> that, you know you're working at such a, a fine grain level, I guess that um, you're able to do these things iteratively. Like you don't have to get everything right up front. Let's pick this one thing and get it right, or what we think is right right now, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, that's probably an evolving concept, also. Right. Um, well, no, I don't. I don't disagree with any of that. I just, I just don't see that. I'm happy. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I'll just say that. Well, I, I guess I'm happy you're in an environment where you at least have that much of of input and say into how that progresses. Uh, I, I have to live with the environment that I'm in, and I have to live with the decisions that people 
around me make, and I have to do the best with what I can with that. And sometimes that leads me to a point where I'm extremely frustrated and I blow up. And other times I'm able to kind of muddle my way through it and get through it. Yeah. And other other times somehow, even with all the shortcomings, we make it work and it works and it works successfully. Right. And I mean, I think I think all these different processes. I mean, they're they, you know these you got they're different grayscales. It's not like there's no such thing as yeah pure waterfall, which is actually was never intended to be a thing. You can go read the waterfall paper from forty years ago. Um, and then even in you know agile processes, there's there's still there's still some amount of batching. I mean, if you you know there's a difference. There's a reason we do a a one week iteration versus a one day iteration. I mean, it, it's kind of a batch. If you're releasing at the end of that week, that's still a batch. It's just a small batch. It's artisanal, small batch, handcrafted. <laughs> I had to mentally think about that one. <laughs> um, yeah, you want small batch. You want small batch software, not, but there, uh, not mass produced software. There are so many things contributing to the to the situations we find ourselves in. There's there's the there's the entire scope. There's the death march. There's the the hourly billing. I mean, everything's got to be tied to an hour. So you're just there's no flexibility there. There's mm. there's nothing. Everything we do is 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 built around that, and it's yeah. How do you change it all? I don't know. I think when people come, I mean, I I can feel like I deal with this all the time. I mean, people come to me with a, a you know, if they they do come to me with a big document. I was like, oh, here you go, build this. I'm I'm like, well, let's you know what, let's let's take this one piece at a time because I mean, thanks for. I mean, I understand you did a lot of good good work on this document, and you you guys have done a lot of homework. But I still I didn't get the benefit. Let's, I'm assuming I wasn't involved. Right? I didn't get the benefit of going through all that, so I don't know all the rat holes you guys went down and all these little things. And so I'll need help making all these little micro decisions. And so let's just take one thing at a time. And so I will, you know, I'll do what I can, even in far than less less than ideal situations, to to at least break things up and make people understand that we, I mean, we need ongoing communication about this. Because there's no way I'm going to be able to take your document and then go off on my own for two months and build something and give it back to you, and it's the right thing. It's not going to be the right thing. Just not. Um, and there's like fear of criticism, um, embarrassment, or what if you what if you screw up? What if it fails? Um, but there's something worse than failing, John. And that's building the wrong thing. And if and if the project waits until the very end before people get to see it. Well, that's when they find out that you've built the wrong thing. Yeah, is that a is that a familiar uh, experience? I, mean, I think we've all we've all we've yeah. all been through no, this. I mean, if, we, if, we, if you've done this for any period of time, like you've you've experienced this, where you thought, you know, we 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 did the big document, we did a bunch of work, you know, we worked hard on this, and turns out the thing at the end was like, you know, they weren't happy with it, or it was the wrong thing, or it was the right thing, but it's no longer the right thing because too much time passed or whatever. But there's really there's 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 two, there's two problem areas. I guess that's what they are. I don't know a better word for them. That really I think drive us to the need to release early and often. Um, and that one of those is and this to me this was this is the not so intuitive one. But it's the things that we know for sure. The things that we think we we're experts on, right? That we know everything about. And the danger of that is is we're not we don't we tend to not challenge our own assumptions. Yeah. Oh, I know how that needs. Don't worry. We don't need to work about, worry about that. I know how that needs to work. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Do you? I mean, this, to me, those are famous last words, right? When someone says something like that. Oh, don't worry. I, I, I know exactly how that needs to work. I've done, that. I've done something just like that before. Well, I, I mean, you should always stop and, and at least ask some of the right questions around those kind of things. 
Because it's our assumptions that always get us wrong. Every And anytime someone comes to me with a, because this is what I do to myself, but they come to me with a problem like, damn it, I can't get this thing to work. What's What am I doing wrong here on this workflow or this whatever? I'm like, well, first thing, just like challenge every assumption you have. But it's but that's a hard thing to do, especially if you're not used to putting your brain into that mode yeah. of really, and that, that any any software developer who, that's what you're doing, you're debugging. Like you literally have to like, you have to, okay, okay, you know, it's like one of the things you've, 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 you have to you, walk you've away been debugging. You do have to, yeah, yeah. you do. You have to walk away. Because you're too in it. And the, re, the what you're doing is like, yeah, you're trying to walk away from, really, I think from all your assumptions. Yeah. I mean, if you really break it down. But that's that's that. So that's one thing. It's, the, the, it's this, the things that you think you know for sure. That's the one danger area. The other danger area is, is the, uh, like the unknown unknowns. I'm sure there's a better term for that. But again, that goes back to, it's very uh, Rumsfeldian thing. Knowing what you don't know or know, yeah. <laughs> no, so there's, there's, you know, there's, there's the things we know. Yeah. Right, and because now this is what I've up until uh, some of this more recent reading I did, I didn't realize we're so dangerous, but they are—they're actually very dangerous. The knowns, the known knowns, like those are dangerous because that's where all of our assumptions are. Mm-hmm. Okay, then there's the known unknowns. These are the safest things because we know that we don't know about them, and we've got to go do homework on those. We got to have meetings about them. We got to talk about those. We've got to do some experimenting. You know, we've got to do some trials or whatever it is. Like. We know we know that those are problem areas, so they get they get more attention, right? But then there's the unknown unknowns. It's like the, th- the things you don't even know about that are going to be a problem. But the only the only real way to ferret all these things out and to surface them at the pro- appropriate time in the project, at a time in the project when you can still when you've still got budget and you haven't built a t- you know the cement hasn't dried yet, mm-hmm. is the only way you can really do that is if you're releasing often. And maybe you're not releasing to production. Maybe you're releasing a Q, uh, some QA sandbox, right? That's fine, too. As long as people are actually... I mean, it may not be as ideal, but as long as people are getting in there, as long as you have a process and you're doing um, some kind of uh, like continuous delivery, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where people are you're getting in and they're, doing, and they're doing QA testing, and then the, and the people that are going to be using this, so the, the, who, the, the real stakeholders, as Benioff would call them, are getting in there and, and seeing what you're building. Because if they are, then that's abs- that feedback, I promise you you're going to get feedback that's going to affect the way you build every subsequent thing that you're going to build in that system. But again, it's that the things that you think you know for sure. Yeah. That, that's where you're going to blow yourself up. Um, yeah, I just think you have to change your mindset. And, and you know, it allows you, this technique allows you to explore things without overcommitting. Does that make sense? It it does. I just I I always think back to the things I'm doing today and how how these things got to where they were, and it it starts from the root, the root of everything. The way projects are sold, they're scoped ahead of time. What's in scope? What's out of scope? Yep. All of that is done ahead of time. I deal with that too, all the time. But I still once, all the assumptions have been have been made and they've been factored into the estimate already. They have to, but you know what I do? See, I'm I'm this subversive little uh, problem person. <laughs> I I don't care. <laughs> when I start the project, I I, I mean, because usually in that, in that type of situation, I also wasn't involved in everything that was led right. to that point. You know, some uh, sales engineer did all this, right? I, could you actually hear? Do you think the people could hear my scary quotes coming through on that? <laughs> you know, some sales engineer, right? Which that's fine; they're doing their job, but they're they're they can only do so much as well. They wouldn't. I couldn't do any better than they did, probably, given that it was. It's all this up front. It's all theoretical. We haven't challenged our the things that we know, and we sure as hell don't know about our unknown unknowns, right? But but even when I'm in that situation, when I 
send, you know, they say, okay, we've done all this work and here's your scope and everyone's signed and we've, we've got the money. We know exactly how much money it is and here you go, right? Now, realistically, some of these things are, they are couched in like, oh, it's an estimate, right? But we all know mm-hmm. what estimates become within about 30 seconds. Yep. They become promises or they're perceived as promises. But even, even with that, I'm just like, okay, well, let's, let's sit down. Let's take this thing one piece at a time. And because there's still, there's still a lot of opportunity, even within that, that context that you've been put in, in this scope, right? And scope is like this jail cell that you've been put in. Even within that, there's still room to build all these things in a way that's iterative, that you can learn from, that you're constantly validating your knowns and your unknowns. Mm-hmm. I think. I will always, I will never take that document and say, okay, um, you'll hear from me in two months. At least I hope, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I actually think if that was, for some reason, that was the way it was going to have to be, I don't, I just think I wouldn't do it. I just know it, I know that, that, John, is a death march. Yeah. That is absolutely a death march. All I'm hearing is I need to if, say more, no more often, I guess. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's saying no or just asking more questions or just, Approaching it the right way, just, uh, just setting the expectation that there's going to be some there's going to be some interaction here and some involvement, and I'm going to have questions, and I'm going to want your feedback, and we're going to do this iteratively. And yeah, that works when I'm the main developer or the only developer, or I'm working on a team of developers that that I yeah no I feel confident in and can mentor yep. and and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. But most of the cases, I'm not responsible for building the team. I'm not responsible for the for the type of work or how it was incepted or scoped or estimated. Yeah, I oftentimes don't even have direct access to the client. Mm-hmm. See, that's, I'm, that's I'm the little the little worker bee out there just taking you know whatever inf- information someone gives me and trying to produce something out of it. Um, yeah, and I I will always say if if, if I'm in a situation where like I don't have access to the client, I would always ask. Well, hey, can we can I talk to the client? I mean, and I, yeah, I will always try to get a relationship going there and just a, a communication channel. Yeah, I'm, you, sure, like I'm said, sure. You, I, you I, do what you can. I'm I sure mean, I can get access if 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 I ask for it. It's just. It's rocking the boat, though. I, I know. I know exactly. I mean, I'm in the. I, I. I. I get put in the same situations, and I know exactly what you're saying. It's. I mean, what are your fears? Why don't you in in situations where you're like, fine, I'll just do this, and you you don't, you don't ask for a better process or or a relationship with a client. I mean, why don't you? What do you? What is what is your fear at that point? If I was to be honest about it, yes, that's what that's what this is, John. This is an honest conversation. Jeez. <laughs> You know, I'm, 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 you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to learn, man. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's hard to say without sounding like I'm being condescending or that I think I know better. But I don't want to own that relationship. I feel if I inject myself and say, "Okay, this does not seem Ooh, like the right thing to fear do," fear of taking on responsibility. Yeah. Uh, uh, in a and not that not that you're shirking responsibility, but that you you're take you're going to take on responsibility that you don't have the authority to effectively execute. Right. I'm basically, I'll, I'll basically inject myself between the client and say, you know what, this is not the right way to do this. I think this is the better way of doing it and this is the way we should do yeah, it. Yeah, there's all that, there's, there's the... There's I'm not the, saying those are my exact words. Okay. I'm just saying my fear there, is that... There's I'm, this thing called tact. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I'm not saying those are my exact words, but what I'm saying is is in order for me to, to, to kind of say, okay, you know what, this is going down a bad road, this is not the way we should do this, we should be doing X, Y, Z, th- that's me dictating the process. That's me saying... I know everyone else has this this thing and the way they work and the way they they like to work, but that's not the way I like to work, and I'm going to come in here and inject it. Yeah, I don't. 
again, it's all, it's all how you said. I, don't, I, I would never walk and say, hey, I don't like the way that you work here. Okay, okay. well, let's, let's walk to this scenario since, since we're here. Since okay. we're down the rabbit yeah. hole. Okay. You've been given a project. It's got a project manager. It's got a business analyst. It's got, you're the lead developer or architect okay. or whatever you want to call yourself. Yep. And you have maybe another developer who's I'm, supposed to help. I'm a resource. Because, because we've scoped this all out and this is how many people we think are, are needed to do this. And the project manager and BA is off with the client. They're, they're on site. They're going to lunch. They're going to dinners. They're talking requirements and they're getting a document put together for you. Yes. And you get this document mm-hmm. and you decide, yeah, I'm not going to take this document, go away for two months and build it. How, how do you inject yourself? So I, I think I would, I would probably, I'd probably read the document. Then I would say, you know, um, this is, you asked me about some really good stuff here, but I, I think I'm going to probably have some questions as I go along, as I build things. Is there, who, who should I be talking to about that? Is there, you know, can I, the analyst that worked on this or, you know, can I talk to the client? I would just start, I would start asking for things. And I would, I would, I would definitely catch it in that, and this is actually true, that it's, it's my need. It's not because someone did something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's because of, you know, a problem that I have that I'm asking for help with. Because people, when you ask for help, when you go to someone and like say, hey, I, I, need, I need some help on this. Like you're, you're, you're being vulnerable and people sense that, you know, at a subconscious level or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, what do you, usually when you ask someone for help like that, you make yourself vulnerable and say, hey, I'm going to need some help with this. Um, what do people do? Like most people want to help. That, that triggers a, that caretaking uh, role in people's personalities. And they actually, hmm, yeah, they, they want to help you. But it's all about how you ask and you set this up. But you're not changing anything about it. You're you're still going with the the document. I you're am, still muddling I through the I project. Am, I am changing things. I'm changing how I would have worked on that had I not done anything. It's just subversive. <laughs> I don't know? think you changed anything. I I think oh, okay. I think you 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 you. No, you, I'm changing things. I've got. I'm opening up communication channels. I'm going to work iteratively. I'm going to take this one piece of time and I'm going to ask questions on each one. Um, I'm going to get them to. I'm going to. I'm going to get them to pretty much look at this and review this on every, you know, iteration, however I define iteration on the thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use all those things to get their feedback and to, and to drive the project and to, and to inform all, all, the, all the future pieces that we're going to build of this thing. Okay, that's great for your part, but you forgot about the other developer who's on this, who's not doing what you're doing, who's not I, asking the questions, who's gone off and built a bunch of stuff, and now he's impacting your stuff. Well, I would, well, no, because I would also try to involve this person as well. Oh, see. I would, just, I would at least try. I mean, I you know I've gotten if you, if you are working on a team on a development team with a, a and a, there's another and you're a developer and there's another developer who you are not communicating with at all that is disaster. I'm going to be honest when I say that this. Is here's where I think I'm a bad consultant, and and I've gotten to be a really bad consultant in the last few years I think, and that is when, when I when I when I first started out and I was consulting, I was all about the team. I was all about the team succeeding. I was all about making sure everyone was around. I was all about mentoring. And then I got burned really bad. Went to work for a company. And I did the same thing. I got the team together. I mentored everyone. Everyone was, we were all doing the same thing. We were, I fixed all the processes and everything was working great to the point where it was almost in maintenance mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got bored with that and I said, oh, I'm going to go back to consulting. I like the variety. Yeah. Um, but then I got burned again. And so I went independent. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so now I don't feel like I'm a part of a team. People want me to be part of the team. It's, it's not because no one wants me to be the team, part yeah. of the team. But I've gotten to this point where I've separated myself from everybody so much that I don't want to get burned. I don't want to be responsible for other people. I don't want to mentor other people <laughs> because it's, it's, it's become a headache. I just want to do my thing and do it well. 
Yep. And so I'm, I'm in this, this mindset where I don't know if I can work on a team anymore. And I, I hate that about myself, but it's, it's frustrating because I think I do need a team. I think I do need a group of people that I can trust and work with. And we have, we, we've, we've done this enough times that we kind of know how each other works. We know what, what, what each other expects, but I, I have, I have yet to even foster that in, in many situations. Well, I could definitely understand what, um, that your experience and, and how you've come to where you are. Um, <clears throat> But I think if you, in that situation, if you, you may think you're not on a team and you're just, oh, I'm just John doing my own thing here and I'm not going to, you know, this other developer, I'm just, I'm not, yeah, we're not on the same team. But the reality is you are on, you are on a team. It's just a really bad team. It's a team that's not functioning correctly, that's extremely dysfunctional. They, I, I, not guess, I guess my point is, is I usually take that role. I usually take the, the role of the person who's going to try to make the team work. That I'm gonna I'm gonna find their strengths, their weaknesses, and we're gonna we're gonna make this work. I also say, people don't be fooled. John is a badass no. consultant, <laughs> and his he is indispensable to his clients. I mean, <laughs> he's probably the hottest commodity, in, you know, in <laughs> in in, in, a, in certain circles that I know of. So, uh, but he likes to be what's this word? Humble, I guess. No, I I I, I don't have a high opinion of myself right now. But that's beside the point. I'm not fishing. Well, that's the way most high functioning people are. So, <laughs> well, no, I, I guess I guess my point is is in every one of those situations in the past. I understood that someone needed to lead it and no one else was doing it. And so I, I went, I did the extra work to make that happen. And I was really successful at it. I felt good about the impact that I had and how I helped people and, and, and how their careers advanced because of that. Yeah. I felt good about that. Right. But then I got sure. to a point where I was tired of doing it. I was tired of always taking on the mantle. I was tired of always picking up the hat off the floor and saying, I'll wear it. Let's do this. Yep. I wanted someone else to do that. Okay. That's fair. And, um, I, haven't seen anyone do yeah. it, and it's frustrating because I, I can well, see the I problems. Feel like it's a rare. It's a I, rare. It's not. It's a skill that not enough people have. I mean, I don't. I think that as much as I feel like agile software development is such a boring and worn out topic, it's it's unfortunately it's really not. I mean, people are still taking baby steps to get there, and there's so many places that are kind of agile and name only. Oh yeah, we do Scrum. Oh yeah, we're agile. I mean, I even see you know some of these um, larger you know Salesforce consulting firms. They've been like, oh yeah, yeah, we uh, we can do we can do agile. Oh, you want to do agile? We can do agile too. If you if agile is not instilled in a company from top to bottom, then it has pervaded all their contracts, all their agreements, how they interact with their employees, their customers, all their stakeholders. Then they're not agile. You can't be. It's like being half pregnant. You you can't be half agile. It's just it it's because it requires the it requires a complete culture. And mindset change. That's what I just said. This even just the, the mindset of releasing early, it will change your mindset. And you can't half do it. You know, your legal department can't be half agile and half not. Your, you know, your technical leadership can't be half agile and half not. It doesn't work. And that's why on all these Salesforce consulting shops that say, oh yeah, we can we can do it. They, they don't know what they're doing. And agile name only. They'll, you know. Yeah, and I'm I'm speaking in broad terms. I'm sure there's some that do, but there's a lot of them that that this they're claiming it because they know that some people are gonna some you know clients are gonna type in uh, Salesforce consultant agile and they want to come up, they want to come up in that list and they want that Google juice for that. But they're not they're not really committed to it. I'm not sure they even believe in it. But even outside the realm of just you know agile or waterfall or whatever else and how that works, I, I I feel like even within those confines, there are ways to mitigate risk. There's ways to mitigate. The frustration is ways to make sure that everyone's communicating correctly or, or at least efficiently or at least has some some sense of, I have an issue, I have a question, I can go to this person and I can talk to them. Um, 
God, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm, I'm, I feel so vulnerable right now, to be oh, honest. Oh. But I've got you in the zone. You do. <laughs> <laughs> but I already went down the rabbit hole, so now I got to yeah. go. But I, I, I do feel that that I'm waiting for someone to do what I normally do, which is to to take take charge and say, you know, let's let's at least if we're all going to do it wrong, let's at least all do it wrong. Let's let's stop all this kind of everyone doing their own thing, all these little silos. You do this, you do this, you do this. You know, it, yeah. I would I would be happy if we're doing it wrong. If everyone was doing it wrong, fine. But everyone's doing all their own things, and it's frustrating because there's no organization, there's no leadership. And and the way I work, because I've decided I'm the lone gun over here. I, I don't I don't play nice with people. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You know, I'm further removed, which I've done to myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that. Yeah, and I mean, I think that strategy can work to some degree. Oh, it's not working. To, <laughs> it's not to, well, to silo yourself and and to have this, you know, um, very sterile interface between you and the rest of the project. That 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 can work to some degree. You can try to make that work. You probably can. I just don't think it works as well. I don't think it. I don't think you're as happy. I don't think the client ends up with the best end result they could have gotten. And in some cases, I think it can be disastrous because, again, you're not developing iteratively. You're not learning. You're not learning from the things you've already built. You're not getting, you know, continuous feedback from all the stakeholders you need to get continuous feedback from. You are making your all your own micro decisions instead of an informed team being involved in that kind of stuff. Yeah. The other thing that I think that it's kind of required to make this work, and this is unfortunate because this is hard, and this is again gets back to people are not cogs. That is that you kind of need to be working with people who you'd also want to sit down and have a beer with. At least for me, like it's kind of important to me that I like the people I work with. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because the people I do enjoy working with right now are people I do, you know, on occasion have a beer with. And you, okay, well, that's good. I mean, that at least is that. I mean, I just think for me, that's, I know everyone's different. Everyone has different needs, but I kind of have that need of like, I. But I wonder if so, some of that is just the fact that we've been able to bond on a, on a different level. Uh, so much of the team is distributed. There's, there's really hardly a chance to even do that. Um, so, so for some people, it's not so much that I don't want to have a beer with them. It's just that they don't live near me. Yeah. Right. No, it's it's not that you have to have beers. It's just that they that would be someone who you would enjoy having a beer with. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, though. Anyway. You know, this is fun. This is one of these topics that I, you know, it might seem repetitive or whatever, but I think it's just, again, it's one of these, it's, we're not even close to there yet as, yeah. as, an, as a, an industry. Not even close. But, I mean, there are, there are people, there are great strides being made in certain areas, and, and I just think in the, cons, you know, in the consulting world, that's where it's, it really <laughs> needs work. Because, you know, look at, look at Salesforce. Salesforce is a great example. Their R&D team supposedly totals some kind of modified version of Scrum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, PS team, not so much, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Consulting is just always... Like, consulting is very contract-based. That's the thing. You're not, you're not dealing with, or you've, you assume you're not dealing with a flexible partner with, with your client. And it turns out, well, it you, seems like you, everyone's just just out to mitigate their risk. I mean, it's it's their contract. They, and everything. they exactly are. But my yeah. point is, and I will I will sit down and I will I will make these arguments until they kick me out of the boardroom. That I listen. This this is mitigating your risk. I understand that you're not getting promises, which are, by the way, bullshit. I know I have to mark that, but that's what they are. If you've got another company that's coming here and said, "Oh, that they, they know exactly what the scope is and they know how long it's going to take and they know and they've given you a fixed price." They either are immature and completely full of crap and are probably going to fail or they've padded their hours so much and you're getting ripped off. It's one of the, it's one of those things. 
and they're not mitigating the risk at all. I mean, you could totally, if they're going to build this in, with, with a bad process, you can get to the end of this project and only then realize that it's a failed project and you will not have seen this coming because up until the up until the end, all the Gantt charts are going to show, oh, this guy's 80% complete. This other thing's 95% complete. And then they, it turns out things get stuck at 90, 95% complete. Hmm. I mean, that's how often does that happen? It's like all the time yeah. when you when you're using those type of processes. And but no, I I can totally sit down and explain why doing an agile an agile process with with the kind of processes within that and the tooling that we that we have to support those things is an absolute mitigation of risk. We will always be working on the most important, highest valuable, highest risk things first. We will always be releasing. We will have an MVP in mind. You know, you can always decide when it's done. And again, if if we've done if we've been working iteratively and we've we've been validating our our knowns and our unknown unknowns all throughout the project, we've been mitigating risk the whole time. All those things that would have cropped up at the very end, we've been dealing with every week and fixing before they got cemented in. And if it's at whatever time you know, let's say you do you know when you do decide, okay, we've spent enough money, you are in a much better position. This thing that you, we have built for you is infinitely more valuable than what we would have built for you in this blind process where you basically don't have any control and you don't see it until the end. Yeah, it's it is without a doubt. You're it's a much better risk mitigation tech, uh, process. And I will you know I'll make those arguments until they like I said until they kick me out. You know, I either win the business or I won't, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, I won't kick you out anytime soon. No, thanks, John. That's why we're friends. I thought it was just because of the beer. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what the answers are yet. I, I do know that I do need to make some changes, especially on how I approach things and how I how I do things that you know, maybe my strategy of 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 being the merc, the merc with the mouth. <laughs> well, again, and I think that's, I think the point here is like, all, everyone that's listening and, and us, I mean, you you can only deal with what you're, with the situation you're in, the clients you have, the boss you have, the project you're working on, the scope you have, the contract, you know, whatever it is. But there's usually little things you can do within that to make it better. I agree. Even, even if no one told you to do that, you can totally take initiative and ask questions more often, show, get people's feedback more often, try to open up communication lines, Ask for help. People love helping. People love helping, especially when you've made yourself vulnerable and you've asked someone for help. So there's things that can be done. It doesn't have to be some big bang. Yeah. You know, I'm going to blow up the world and reform it in, in an image that I think is perfect. It's my favorite thing to do, though. Yeah. I used to, I used to reformat my, my Windows <laughs> like well, twice what, a year. No, you had, you had good cause to do that <laughs> well, yeah, because but, it was Windows. True. <laughs> I haven't done that with the Mac. Although, although when a new release comes out, I do, I will reformat and reload on every new release. Yeah. Oh, see, I don't think I've ever done that. The only time I start over is when I get a new machine. That's it. I mean, I think I've upgraded three. Of, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect, but I feel like you know, OS ten has always been pretty damn good at upgrades. I mean, it has. It's, it's but over, over time, I find that there's apps that sit on my machine are, that I yeah, never use right. or. I I was messing around with some library and now I've got all these freaking things from from um uh, all these services and stuff sitting on my hard drive somewhere that I don't use. I, I yep. the, oh some um some npm package that I downloaded or something that is just sitting there. Who knows? It's probably even running every time and I don't even know it. Right. Oh yeah. There's all kinds of crap. Um, stuff that's in the um 
you know, that just that the startup scripts yeah. start services. What is this? You know, OS 10's got a completely different. Um, what, yeah. is, what is their service? I have some tools called? that will, cl- will clean those up. That I forgot what the activity. No, I don't remember. But yeah. either way, I have some tools that will help me keep track of them and get rid of them. But yeah, I'm paranoid. What are yeah, these they have clean? the um, what do they call it? It's, it's basically their launch, launch D. So, yeah, um, yeah, maybe OS 10 runs launch D, whereas like completely different than system than the init scripts of the old Linux days. Although Linux has got some new init systems as well. Yeah. Anywho. Well, I have uh, one more throwaway topic, but we can skip it. I'll just mention it. Microsoft is um, apparently the source for AI. <laughs> Who says? The information says that uh, competitors, uh, Amazon and Facebook and Google, are getting a good portion of their recent AI hires from Microsoft. Oh, so people are leaving Microsoft. Yeah. Okay. But I, I mean, obviously, the the talent pool for AI maybe Microsoft is small. Maybe Microsoft under underpaying their AI women employees, and they're leaving to where <laughs> they're getting paid fairly, which is the way it's supposed to work. Let the marketplace punish Microsoft. They're going to lose a lot of good people. Yeah. So I, I didn't go into it in depth to, to understand that, but yeah, it, it was a it was a passing. I read a um a thing the other day that was uh, these uh, you know AI people in, in the AI space that basically listed out like the top who they think are the top ten companies in in AI. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, mainly based on, um, I, I guess what they, I don't know, what they open source, what they develop, what they, the papers they write. Because any company that's doing any kind of significant AI stuff is, I mean, their people are writing, you know, their PhDs that they employ are writing these papers. And, right. Um, but one thing I, I noticed is, so IBM generally makes that, that top ten list. Um, but they, there's a there's a kind of a consensus that, like a lot of Watson is is viewed as almost like previous generation AI technology. Not that it's not valuable, it's not doing good stuff, and they've, you know, integrated it in some products in a, in a valuable way. But it's yeah, it's it's using some a lot of its previous generation techniques. And that's about as far as I know. Salesforce not not yet becoming mentioned in those lists yet, but you know, days are still early. They've yeah. only been in AI for what a couple of years now, a year, a year. I mean, they've only been shipping AI in any kind of form for what six months, maybe something like that. Yeah. Or or the um, what was the inbox product they bought? Something IQ. That's that was. Man, they've been shipping that for a year now. Yeah, I guess the term, the, the, uh, the category for AIs has gotten very loose. So yeah, that's it's, true. it's hard to say. They've been lumping everything into it. Yeah. Any, Be- anything that's an algorithm that makes a decision, they're calling AI. Right. But I think, you know, Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon, you know, just dwarf, really. I mean, they've been working on it longer. They've got bigger pockets. They've made way more, you know, hires of these PhD, uh, they, you know, machine learning people. So what do you think? Does it does that market seem more viable than than the whole IoT thing? Or do you think you I for Salesforce or yeah? I oh I think so. I think people don't know what to do with IoT. Whereas I think Salesforce can productize their their AI mm-hmm. or their machine learning, whichever it may be, um, in ways that you know democratize AI. According as as Benioff says it, mm-hmm. you know AI for the masses, right? Isn't that what yeah. he said? No, I, th- I think they can productize in a way that it gives people functionality um, that they don't have to know or care how fancy it is. It's just, you know, it's telling them which lead to work on next. Yeah. Or it's telling them how good of and what the quality of this lead probably is. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think so. I, I think it'll turn out to be a much, much bigger thing moving forward than, than say, IoT ended yeah. up being. And a lot of it's just, you know, Salesforce, I mean, a lot of this has just been acquires. They just, they know they need, they, they people with these skills, 
and that and that training. And there are there are some again there are some known opportunities that we have that we can think of right now. Um, some are good, some are bad. Uh, <laughs> the whole Coke thing might not be the best one, um, but there's also all the opportunities uh, that we can't even think of right now. That six months from now, when we realize, oh gosh, this would be a you know you're, this would be a great we could productize this you know this great new idea. Well, if you already have the people and some technology in house, then you're going to be much better prepared to seize those opportunities. And I think clearly in the, the this CRM space and the marketing space, and, and even support, you know, just applying machine learning to all kinds of support things. I mean, a lot of opportunities there yeah. that I think we'll start seeing more and more. The question is, you know, how do you productize it? Is it going to actually make Salesforce money? You know, are people are customers going to be willing to pay more for it? Or are you just going to have to start throwing in freebies? You know, that's always the question on Salesforce's new products. You know, it comes out with a pr- price ticket of forty thousand dollars, and next thing you know, it's you know a hundred bucks yeah. or whatever. I mean, that's remember when they you know this goes back to even like you know the advanced analytics that they they came out with that was really should have been the ba- it should have been included for free because it was like baseline like this is stuff that for the money we're already paying it should do, and, right. and there was a lot of pushback, and they ended up just saying, eh, we'll give it to you for free." <laughs> So yeah, that's that's you know getting people to pay for. I mean, Salesforce is good at, get, at getting people to pay for things, but there is still a limit <laughs> to how much people will pay because it's a whole. It's it's not just Salesforce nickel and diming people. It's the entire ecosystem. I mean, I'm in a situation right now where we're battling with Financial Force because we've now realized that we have to have Financial Force community licenses for this, or else people can't see their invoices. Customers oh, really? can't see their invoices. They have to have a Financial Force license to see their own invoices so they can pay an invoice. I mean, so this you is have just community this licenses, is and I can have financial force <laughs> licenses. <laughs> and this and this is and this poor client—they've already. I mean, they've just been nickeled and dimed from every direction, and they're just like, I don't know what they're paying per user now. It's got to be like five hundred bucks a month. It's just oh my gosh. Oh, you want more sto- more more than a gig of storage? Oh, okay then. Well, <laughs> click, 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 let's add this to get their adding machine out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big lever. Oh, I heard of someone told me the story of a, a customer that just bought several hundred additional gig of storage. I'm just like, wow. I wonder what they pay. I wonder what kind of discount you can get on that because it's, um, it's the list price for a gig of storage is six, six grand a year. Yeah, that's what it wow. is. I'm like, man, they, because they, and they, I think it was on the order of several hundred gigs they, they bought, they bought 500 gig maybe. And I'm just like, I wonder what they pay. Because that, what would that be? $300,000 or is that $3 million? Yeah. Uh, let's see. But I, I, 6,000 times 500 gig. That's $3 million. Yeah, $3 million. <laughs> <laughs> at list price I'm sure you get it you know yeah, you buy sure, that I'm much sure you get you some kind of discount but I still think you're potentially in the nine figures man Gosh. yeah but it's not just money that worries me when, when you start talking about that many records you start affecting performance oh that's the other question and that's you know the, the consultants that are involved in this they're, they're being very careful about yeah about what the what, what direction they they advise the client to go in well you want to put a bow on this yep Let's, uh, we have two reviews I'm going to read those are from last week because I don't know our system is a, a week delay on getting notifications. Uh, this one is from dberg30. It says informative, funny, honest. Sorry, I'm about to choke. <clears throat> don't do that. That's not the review. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The review is uh, come for the apex, stay for the angels' envy. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> John and Jeremy get. Pretty deep on the developer side of Salesforce, yet managed to make a very in, in, interesting, informative, and funny podcast that covers the entire ecosystem. 18 clouds and all. Are you up to 18 clouds now? I think so. Wow. I mean, some people have, I think, I swear, it's well over 10, 12, 15 certifications. 
Yeah, I saw that <laughs> list. Crazy. And, and the cost to maintain it. That's well, no, they've they've capped it now, three hundred yeah. bucks a year or whatever. So then that's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, they pull no punches and cut through the marketing fluff to present an honest view of all things Salesforce and craft beer, whiskey, rolling trucks, and excessively cleaning Apple products. I think that was about me. This podcast is the Fitbit. Fitbit yeah. is a thing now. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. It was good. Um, yeah, I, I, that made me think of something. What was it? Um, I forget now. You forget? Yeah. Oh, oh, I know. They, they said, you know, we go deep on developer stuff. But today's a great great example. I, I, I mean, I know we do. We're developers, so we kind of get into that sometimes. But I mean, a lot of times I feel like I want to be, I, th- I think we're more universal that if you're an admin or a consultant or just a user of Salesforce or whatever, you know, I think, I think, or, or you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't, hope we're, hopefully we haven't pigeonholed ourselves into a developer podcast. Now you got to pick a niche. Well, look at today. Today was all about you know process and <laughs> today was all and about communicating and psychology. No, <laughs> whatever. Uh, you don't say that because you know you're awesome. No, no, no. Speaking of awesome, that's the title of this next review. Awesome, but this is from New SF Dev. I, I almost read it as News F Dev, but yeah. Uh, John and Jimmy are awesome. Very insightful about Salesforce as well. As- Oh, I, I'm sorry, I got a lot of, of these. Programming is really awesome. <laughs> is that the last this one? This is awesome. No. This is amazing. Uh, and I can go on and on. <laughs> that was awesome. So great job. Like, that's awesome. Well, that's your boyfriend. <laughs> hey, he's down in Austin. We should go visit him. We, we should, should invite should. him on our beer tour. Yeah, we should. Yeah. yeah. Invite him to the happy hour. Should <laughs> all right, Sorry. so I can tell him how I didn't let's buy. Get, his let's get to our awesome uh, <laughs> import yeah, stuff. Yeah. No, you give him some feedback. All right, let's uh, get to our awesome review. Yeah, it says John and Jeremy are awesome. Very insightful about Salesforce as well as things happening around in tech industry. Sometimes they are so funny. It's like S. Rogan and Jay Franco having a good time. Which one are you? I don't know because I don't listen to those. I know who they are, but um, so so what this person what what they call funny, my wife would call annoying. Really? Yeah. She thinks we're she annoying? Doesn't, she doesn't think I'm funny. I don't think like anything. I don't know. It always amuses me if someone thinks I'm funny because I, I feel like it's definitely bordering on annoying, but whatever. I'm doing my thing. Well, that's, that's why I drink during the podcast, so, so that your annoyance becomes funny. Right. Or tolerable, <laughs> at least, right? Tolerable. Who was that? Uh, new SF Dev. Hmm. Well, welcome, welcome to the party, New SF yeah. Dev. Come join the Slack channel yeah. if you haven't. Oh, already. that's true. In fact, I, I God, I such I so fail on this. We have a Slack channel, a Slack team with actually a few channels now, or a couple channels. No, there's a few. Um, there's great, you know, it's great discussion, great conversation, and some a lot of helpful, nice uh, people. So if you're listening, and very to this, supportive people. And if you have, they, they, if you they, listen, if you have, they're supportive, and you, they're people you can ask help from. You can be vulnerable, and it's actually pretty awesome what happens when people do that. Yeah. Um, if you are listening to this and you haven't joined yet, just check it out. It's super easy. All you got to do is go to our uh, com, click on community, put your email address in, and John will set you up. Or, or and, ping us on Twitter. I, I I heard that some people were having issues with that. I'm going to go no. and take take a look again. But if for some reason you have an issue, sign up. Just ping us on Twitter or something or info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. We'll get you out of it. And you're welcome just to get on and lurk if you want to. That's fine, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Share us on the socials. On whatever they, whatever socials you're on, tell a friend. By the way, speaking of socials, I think we need to do a better job of when you post the, and when you post, I guess, in Twitter, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. Um, we need to do like, you know, do some hashtags or do like an at Salesforce devs or whatever they, whatever the things are, you know? Oh, that's pre-programmed. I'll have to modify okay. the template. 
But yeah, so yeah, tell your friends. Um, leave us a, like leave us a review like these very generous uh, people did on iTunes or Stitcher. We're not on Stitcher, are we? No. iTunes. What are we on? Uh, Overcast. You can at least click iTunes, the heart thing. You, you can recommend or like whatever. You know, just all those things that send signals that the so the AI uh, bots can pick up and do things with, yeah. which we don't understand. I also wanted to say I meant to mention this last time, but I forgot to. I just was looking at our numbers, and you know we're a we're a, we're a small podcast, but. Uh, our March numbers for this year were since, if you compare us to March from 2016, where we have grown 450%. Wow. Now, none of this uh, paltry 20, 23% growth. <laughs> and, and we're profitable on a non-GAAP basis. <laughs> Very non-GAAP. So, so should we start the fastest to 10 billion mantra yet? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> How about fa- fastest to 10,000 listeners? Yes. That'd be a good goal. Well, uh, if we're talking shop, we we are talking about getting new shirts, right? Ordered. Yeah, but, but before we get into that, I also want to say, send us questions. Like, oh yeah, you know, those are fun. Uh, or or you know, topics or whatever, or just feedback uh, to info at gooddayserpodcast dot com. Info at gooddayserpodcast dot com. All right, shirts, shirts. Yeah. So if I haven't sent you your shirt and you're coming to Texas Dreaming, I will bring your shirt. Oh my gosh. And and Jeremy has has uh, taken away the uh, shirt responsibility from me because I'm horrible at it. So he's going to be responsible for for shirts. But we are going to order some new ones because we we're kind of running low on it's just the sizes. An ongoing joke. These shirts. Yes. Yes. We still have the shirts, and we they still, still have they them. if <laughs> they still have your name on it. Yes. That's the thing. It's for real. Those shirts actually exist. Yes. <laughs> but we are going to order more. We are going to send those out, and Jeremy's going to take responsibility because I suck. All right. Boy, this is John. <laughs> this is the we've got to work on our. Uh, our mental self. <laughs> I just, I've been, I've been failing at so many things lately. It's, it's hard uh, to, to in your mind, dig John. myself out of it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Hashtag fail central. Yeah. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That was awesome. So great job. They should take a bow.